Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse, the fifth column. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is we had technical issues, so this is the second time I'm doing it. Yeah. This is also your rhetorical assault, your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle people that make it occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster and I had a whole like, thing about like abortion. It was a joke. It was kind of funny. I had a I had a the black midterms. versus white joke. Yeah, it was pretty good. That's a pretty good, good one, yeah. right? Damn and then uh, and then you stepped on the power strip. <laughs> I didn't step Literally. on the power strip. Yeah, it's very you stepped on the power strip. Maybe it was my fault. I don't know. But in either case, you'll just have to assume it was very comical. I'm here. Michael Moynihan is obviously here. Matt Welch is not here. He is home He's dead caring for his family yes. who does have COVID. Oh, now I'm remembering. I mentioned the fact that they're white. And because yeah, yeah, because he's he's going to die now. That white people are more yeah. likely to die of COVID, yeah. which is of urgent importance. That's and also why is because our victory in the Great Equity War. Yes, and that's why for his replacement, uh, we didn't get a white person because they might die. <laughs> and we're trying to keep hey. this thing going. Well, no, you're the guest. Oh, right. The replacement yeah. is right. the great Coleman Hughes. That's which right. You've seen on the uh, description, and we were talking about how he has a book coming out, and you should buy it. You can't pre-order, but it's about race and it's about um, well, I've been uh, told skull I'm, shapes and things. I've been told I'm politically white, so I might die of COVID you right now. Are, you, yes. are, you are politically Norwegian, I think, at this point. And uh, Nick Gillespie, too. And Nick Gillespie of Reason yeah. Magazine, also in the building. So we're, we're very excited to Hi. have both of them here. Um, and uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff for us to chew over. We have the midterms, which, I mean, they're almost over. So that's yeah. a thing that happened. There are debates that happened yesterday in New Jersey, not New Jersey, New York, mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And I want to talk about both of those. I also want to talk about some of the messaging around the midterms because folks are making their closing arguments now um, and they're not terribly compelling, at least from my standpoint. And I want your perspectives on this. Yeah, there's it's other a, shit it's to talk a real about as well. shift over the last 20 years. Well, what's really amazing is that cared. every single yeah. one of these elections in yeah. sequence yeah. is apparently the most oh, important yeah. of my lifetime, which yeah. is it's that's probably a strange coincidence that that's the but case. But that's because you are going, you're about to die. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. We're all approaching that, that cliff. Um, Kanye West uh, making news that's worth talking about. And I suspect there are other things as well. But let's see where we end up. Yes. Um, I wonder, though, should we start with the midterm stuff? Should we start with <laughs> having to watch that thing <laughs> that we all had to watch last night? Which was like, no, it was like, do you, do you ever want, like, listen? I don't have to, to wonder whether you're talking about Pennsylvania yeah, yeah, or, no, no, or no, definitely not. But, like, do you, do you ever, like, when you're listening to, like, a Colin radio show and, like, somebody's really embarrassing, you just turn the radio down because it's too embarrassing? Yeah. And you turn it back and they're still talking, you turn it down again. <laughs> that was what the Defederman bit was like, but it was the whole thing. God. And I just, like, watched it. I was like, I'm just, and also with the sound off, it's also yeah. terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> As he's, like, lurching towards the podium. I'm like, oh, really? my God. It's like he's an extra from Westworld. <laughs> yes. And, like, you know, take him offline. <laughs> you know, the scripts are bad. So we all like were it. wondering how this was going to go, right? I mean, and then it was literally in the first line. The first line of the debate where he said, good night. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that, but he was like, how are you? Good night. I was like, I don't, this is terrible. This is, I don't want to watch But that's the thing this. that you say. People say, good evening. Yeah. I'm glad to be don't here. Don't say good night. But, but not good night. No. no. But he missed, listen, it was hard. It was hard to watch. And I've, very I've seen the commentary to from progressives who were very totally enthusiastic about him. <laughs> yeah. Not just totally fine, heroic. Heroic. Yeah. Well, right. so it's, it's even weirder, right? There because there's nothing wrong with him. Initially. But, but yes. it's, you know, then you're an ableist. Yes. If you 
call attention to yeah. the oddness. So can, can I be the only one who has pointed this out? I don't think anyone that I've seen is but he's not disabled. This is not a disability. Like yeah. he, if you have a heart attack, it's really you're kind recovered, of a superpower. Well, what, they say, what they're saying is there's nothing yeah. wrong with him yeah, beyond yeah. there's nothing cognitive. Right. This just takes a long time in in you know recovering. If you are so Tammy Duckworth has, dis- yeah. has a disability. She where, has d- where no better legs. to do rehab than yes. in the governor's mansion? I, in, uh, <laughs> yes. no, well, like, that was the t- tweet, uh, the David Sirota tweet that I sent you, Camille. Uh huh. When he's like, it's, "There's, it's you just say yes or no. It's not a big deal. You don't have to do anything. They just tell you to say yes or no." It's the, I think he referred to it as the easiest job in the world. And I was like, I don't know if it should be. Should the Senate be the easiest job in the world? Maybe it is. Actually, I'm probably fine. With I was that. disappointed he didn't wear the black hoodie. Yes, I was too. I, you know what? I, I actually think that was a bad look for him. I he am, looked worse in the suit. I am kind of friendly with him after he threatened to beat me up yeah. on the Bill Maher show years yes. ago. I think we talked about and, that last week a little bit. Yeah, a little but little. Um, you know, like I don't dislike him. I mean, I think that is that is where the future of American politics or the present of American politics is, where you're choosing between him. And Oz, yes. who <laughs> so, is also completely unqualified. You kind of look stupid. like Oz. Oh my yeah. god! I just realized. I just realized. Am <laughs> yeah, I crazy? Nice. This is like yeah, having Matt Welch here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Physical. Uh, you have a you have a bit of a, the look of a Turkish a phony. Yeah, that's, that's true. I was going to complain about the crudite and the yeah. antipasto yeah. plate yeah. here, um, but and, you know I'm not going to now. That's he, the thing about it was that it takes all the heat off of Oz. Nobody has any idea what he said about anything, mm-hmm. with the exception of one answer about abortion, which mm-hmm. in fairness was not exactly what he said. It's what he said, but he was saying this is a state issue. Right. And then he just clumsily, because he's not good at this, right. and everyone's saying beforehand, it's so unfair. You have a guy with a disability. He doesn't have a disability. I'm sorry. He had a stroke. It's not a disability. He's not a disability. He's from Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, this guy, he's so media trained, and it's yeah. so unfair. And it's like, yeah, he's media trained in lying about <laughs> medical care. He's not great at this. That and moment he, when he used the neti pot to clean yeah. his nostrils, uh, that was just brilliant statement. I'm surprised that yeah. Oprah didn't come out and who <laughs> Oprah did come out and um, do something with Stacey Abrams last week, but not for uh, for Dr. Oz, who I think she created, right? I think so. She was oh, yeah, responsible totally. for that. Yeah. 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 I, now, I want to talk about the Stacey Abrams situation, but before we move on, I think for me, the low point in that debate for Fetterman was when he mentions fracking. Yeah. Oh, my he says, God. I've always supported fracking. Yeah. I, I think fracking is great. And Dr. Oz is prepared to yeah, savage yeah. him, which probably would have been better for him than having yeah. the moderator say, no, no, hold on a moment, Dr. Oz. Mr. Fetterman, she'd been ready yeah. for this. Yeah, she yeah, was prepared. Yeah. And she says, Mr. Fetterman. He, on the other hand, there, was not. There are comments. Yeah. There are previous comments from you stridently opposing yeah. fracking. And then there was on multiple occasions, like a about a thirty second silence. Thirty yeah. second silence. It was like Biden, like in its. And then he just had a Westworld moment where he repeated the same sentence. The same answer. <laughs> yeah, I've always, always supported yeah. fracking. But, but the That's thing is, a lie. if it is a thing that it's not any sort of cognitive impairment, if it's just speech... He's just the worst Is liar. he just a bad liar? <laughs> yes. I'm thinking, like, maybe he just maybe forgot. Maybe that's what right. we need in politics, not bad Actually, liars. I think... Well, I think <laughs> we had a bad... We just had page. a bad liar as president. He was no, we had a liar who didn't give a fuck. He was a prolific yeah. liar, but he was actually yeah. bad at it. 
No, but he didn't care. I don't, I don't know if I agree that he was bad he was at it. I don't think yeah. Mr. Fetterman cares either. Did you get any sense that there was anything what going is, on What is with Mr. Mr. Fetterman? What a... Mr. Oz. Yeah, you uh, noticed that. They called Mr. him Mr. Oz. Oh, not right. He never Dr. knew Oz. what the truth was. Yes. Could, could you tell Trump was lying from body language? he was lying from body, from body language alone. No, the no. things that he would say when he was lying all, always sounded a little bit like absurd. I, I just feel like a bad liar is someone who who has a tell. Yeah. Who like, can't convincingly pull it off. The Trump tell with him is that he just never told the truth. Yeah, but he yeah, lied about so, everything. Yeah, exactly. Literally, but, yeah. And that oh, way, in the, the small some, things, some, the some great things. Yeah, I have a business. It's great. I'm great at business. <laughs> Can we <laughs> return to the fact that Michael, we glossed over it, but Bill O'Reilly did have a behavior. A body person. language expert almost every week. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. 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 God, did she accuse him of. Uh, oh, she saw that she, he was of, going uh, to. Falafel, <laughs> falafel baths or something. I noticed you're going to harass me after the show <laughs> from your body language. <laughs> he has a show now, too, doesn't he? Like a uh, uh, podcast or something? Does he? Yeah, and he's still writing those books, the ones. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, like who killed, killed Kennedy. Yeah, oh, who's yeah. the last person oh, who yeah. he was surveying the death of? He killed uh, uh, Jesus at one point. Yeah, there was a killing well, Jesus, a yeah, killing yeah. Kanye, I think. Is well, the he didn't one. kill Jesus. <laughs> yeah. we, we know who killed Jesus. The money changers. Oh, we'll get to Kanye <laughs> in a minute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was we'll you and that. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the Stacey Abrams situation is also interesting. There was a big story in Politico. And I'm, actually, I'm pivoting quickly from wow. the midterms, kind of, sort of. But I guess this is part of it as well. But Stacey Abrams, there's a big story in Politico about a lawyer friend of hers yeah. who had been working a legal case. Yes. This legal case itself is several years old. It is the cornerstone of the fight against Jim Eagle, as mm-hmm. Joe Biden has described. <laughs> we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. I mean, this is gigantic. What they're trying to do. Oh, that sounds kind of anti-Native American. <laughs> I, think, I think maybe it is. Um, Stacey Abrams, this was the place where she was going to finally put an end to voter suppression. Right. The various claims in the original lawsuit, which was apparently expansive, so yes. expansive that the judge insisted that they pare down the number of complaints it, that were there. It's so expansive, it takes up more space than the AIDS quilt. <laughs> I mean, did we have to do an AIDS quilt joke? That's there? in my contract. I thought it was going to be a Stacey Abrams joke, to be honest, and I was going to, you know, so, advise you not to go. For the record, I have no indication that Stacey Abrams has AIDS. Yeah. Oh, it has I'm nothing to do sure. with her. I'm just saying, what happened to the AIDS quilt? You know? We have all these reporters, but they don't follow up on anything. This is this is fair, and we'll come back to this penetrating question mm-hmm. about the uh, AIDS quilt. But... But but specifically with respect to this case, and maybe I'll come to the to the details of the case in a moment. The chairwoman of her campaign is a close personal friend who went to school with her. Is also a very high powered attorney, or at least a very expensive attorney, who apparently, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars, was pursuing yes. this lawsuit in the state of Georgia in order to prove a number of expansive, sweeping claims about voter fraud. Right. And it turns out very recently that this case was thrown out. Um, and it's interesting. There's a lot of stuff that's interesting here to me. The group the, is the called Fair story. Fight Action. And yes. the, the key detail is 2019, 2020, they raised over $60 million. A lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. I think the the legal suit, if I'm not mistaken, was somewhere like $30 million or something, something like, like that, that yeah. spent on Fair this. Not all of that. Action v. Raffensperger. <laughs> <laughs> not all of that money went to Fair Fight Action. Yeah. But- you know, the the cornerstone of most people's critique of Donald Trump with his entire sort of stop the steal campaign, 
it'll often come down to, look, the courts looked into this and they decided over and over again that this was nonsense, that your, your claims were preposterous. And this lawsuit from Stacey Abrams' camp went after absolutely everything imaginable, including like voting machines, mm-hmm. which they would eventually remove from the lawsuit around the same time that Donald Trump started to talk about the voting machines yes. in Georgia. Well, there's an attempt to yeah. overturn the campaign. I mean, this looks rather corrupt here. It's not obvious that there is clear corruption, but it looks pretty corrupt. The, I wonder what your perspective is. The most corrupt is. thing about this, I mean, there's a million corrupt things about it, is the uh, the organization, what the hell is it called? Mm. The one that is the uh, anti-corruption organization uh, in D.C., very famous one, guy who's you know been around running this place, and Camille will come up with the name in a second, mm-hmm. is quoted in the Politico piece, yes. saying this is kind of fucked up, this is mm. kind of corrupt. Mm. And um, the organization then, the following day, <laughs> retracts his quote. He doesn't oh. retract his quote. The organization puts it out like, actually, we looked at it, and this is totally above board, and we love Stacey Abrams. He was having a stroke. <laughs> he was, <laughs> and so this is like the is most- pu- in, Public citizen. Public is citizen is oh the one, gosh, you know, which wow. is a big, big organization. Yeah, it's yeah. like Ralph Nader. I think it started by Ralph Nader, yeah. 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 And it, it it now is like backing Stacey Abrams. This is something that's so clearly corrupt. And in their response, mm-hmm. what do they say? At the end, it's Fair Fight Action has done heroic work protecting yes. and advancing the freedom to vote in Georgia and across the country. We are proud to partner with them. They never discuss the actual nub of the story, which mm-hmm. is massive overbilling. Right. And they're billing, you know, tens of millions of dollars to themselves. Mm -hmm. And this is the woman who's running the campaign, who is also part of this law firm, which I think they break it down in in the political story that if you're doling this money out to the small law firm, it's coming out to like $400,000 per person at the law firm. Wow. It's so crazy. Some crazy crazy (laughs) number. There's only like two dozen people or something or a dozen people at the law firm. I think it's about a dozen. Yeah. 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 It's a crazy number. And like this came out in Politico two days ago and has made absolutely not a single splash anywhere. This is one of the issues that I I think the left is the most uh, ideologically blinded on. And it's been that way since 2018. I remember... I was really in the weeds on this issue from the beginning for, for whatever reason. You know, Stacey Abrams loses by 55,000 votes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, all these outlets on the left are crying bloody murder because people are getting purged from, from the voter rolls. And I looked into it, and the law requiring them to purge people from the voter, voter rolls was from, like, 97 or 98, signed into law by a, by a Democrat governor, and a Democratic legislature. <laughs> then wow. recently but, I had... But you um, could imagine why he fought for a law like that. Like, probably advantageous to him to get the time. old yeah, yeah. off yes. the rolls yeah, yeah. who were the right. old Republicans who yeah. would have voted against Democrats. Yeah. Yeah. And as for, the, I mean, as for the election machine thing, another reason that they might have backed off on that is, well, so Eric Holder came out with this book earlier this year with my friend Sam, Sam Koppelman. They co-wrote it. It was all about voting rights, and they cite very liberally the Brennan Center for Justice report, which is, I think, sort of considered the flagship think tank working on this issue. And so I had I had him on the podcast, Sam, and I read the whole report, and there were all these lines in there that were like, it's like well, how is nobody p- picking up on this, right? So there's, they looked at the number of election workers. Well, they were trying to ask the question, why are black people on average waiting somewhat longer to vote in Georgia? Mm -hmm. And so they're looking at all these explanations. And 
basically they they rule all of them out mm-hmm. basically mm. so they look at is it that there are fewer election sites in black counties is it that there are fewer election workers fewer machines none of that was true and in fact some and sometimes the opposite was true like there's more election machines more election workers in in black areas than in white areas, and they basically chalk it up to a mystery. It's like kind of a mysterious why black people are waiting five or maybe ten minutes it's longer. a uh, Mike Tyson mystery. <laughs> <laughs> if that gets greenlighted for another, fair. This is this is the um, description in Politico of the case: fair fight action versus Raff, Raffensperger. Um, Raffensperger. I don't they, know how he escaped Operation Valkyrie <laughs> and ended up in Georgia, including allegations of, and this is the list. <laughs> Unreasonably long lines and wait times caused by moving and closing polling places, the impact of voter ID rules on people of color, voters with non-Anglo-Saxon names and newly naturalized citizens, improper maintenance of Georgia's voter rolls, inadequate training of poll workers, and even the integrity of voting machines. It sounds kind of familiar, right? And also in Georgia. Very familiar. Mm -hmm. And her speech, remember the concession speech that wasn't a concession speech? She started the speech by saying, this is not a concession concession speech. (laughs) By the way... I don't know why you're all here, but this is not a concession speech, and I am not conceding. So what the fuck? And I think that was over the weekend. (laughs) Yeah. The next lines in that speech, as a woman of integrity. As a woman of integrity. But I am very impressed by Stacey Abrams, who prior to a career of being on MSNBC all the time and being on NPR every time I turn it on, she wrote romance novels. Star Trek. And she has literally lost every race that she's ever won. (laughs) I mean, she's like like the Peter McNeely of- You only have to win the final yeah right? even beto o'rourke has, uh, has <laughs> won at least one yeah one unbelievable one. my, my, my friend has a, a, a 10 year old kid and they have these pictures of great heroes they have pictures of martin luther king it's and Saint all these Stacey. Stacey abrams is up on the wall wow. <laughs> where is this this is in arsley her, her yeah, success Lord. is incredible. What? The other thing. You're going to win something. <laughs> Barely not. Anything. No, but like George Washington lost every battle but the last one. Yeah, in yes, yeah. Right? And yeah. then he became so. the first president. So it's like, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's like having like the 62 Mets, Mets on the wall. <laughs> well, they, they won the final <laughs> like, game. Yeah, you know? yeah. um, there was another quote yeah. in that Politico story that uh, struck me, and it was they went to a guy who had worked in the uh, Obama White House as like an ethics guy. And he said, uh, it happens all the time. This money, yes. like shoveling millions of dollars to your best friend with a yes. fucking political action committee or something. It happens all the time. It is the way our system is built that the political leaders and the policy leaders are one in the same. Yeah. So this is not unique to Allegra, who's the woman, the woman not yeah, the money. Yeah. You can say the same thing about Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi or, or Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell or Kevin McCarthy. We not only countenance it, we embrace it. That is the American political, legal, and ethical system. All right, that's fine. That's incredible. <laughs> and it's like, okay. It's incredible. Well, now I understand. I like, so we should just shut up about it. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like... It's, it is, I mean, it is a very uh, BLM in the same way, all the controversies <laughs> that have swallowed up BLM. It is just the, the way that you do it is not the dark arts. It's literally you start an LLC... Yeah. As a consultant, mm-hmm. which is the great, you know, phony term that doesn't mean anything, and you funnel an enormous amount of money into the people that are just hanging around with you for consulting, and it's fine, and that's what this is like. This is t- totally okay. Trap heels LLC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start, other started like a day that, before he got like tens of thousands of dollars. This I the other thing that bothers me about this leading into the midterms mm-hmm. and the twenty twenty four election, and uh, Camille, I think I shared it with you. This insane ad uh, for a group called Indivisible uh, that had Hillary Clinton talking about how 
there are right wing extremist right wingers who have already hatched a plan to literally steal the 2024 presidential yes. election. And we have to crush the coup. Yeah. And it's like this language is indistinguishable from the fucking malarkey that Trump and all yes. of his idiot followers are doing. And what really worries me, because I, I, in the end, I, you know, I, the one thing I know after Election Day is that people I don't like will be in office. Mm -hmm. But when you have the, you know, the Republicans are going to win big because of various kinds of factors, not, you know, including the economy and all of that kind of stuff. And then the Democrats are just going to adopt the stolen election rhetoric of the Republicans and, like, take it to the next level. And it's really not good to live in a country where people do not believe or trust mm -hmm. basic kind of apparatuses of governance and, and public, you know, public knowledge and things like that. And it's that. not a January 6th thing. This is not something yeah. that happened in 2020. I went back. Uh, I think I sent you this quote. Um, I went back and was reading Tim Snyder's really terrible book on tyranny. <laughs> and, you know, it's a little pamphlet and it's like, you know, 13 random things that I thought in the, in the bathtub yeah. and I'm going to send, sell 85 million copies of it, and then an illustrated version and then do a next version, which is almost the same thing. And in the middle of it, he, there's a great kind of parenthetical where he's like, you know, in the next election in 2018, if we have one, yeah. it literally <laughs> says that in the book, like, if we have one. Well, yeah, I, that's like, a long time ago. Yeah, it was long. I'm like, you know, we had one. It was fine. Yeah, now and if, I'll point out, uh, because it's opposite now, uh, you know, in 2018, the first time that, the, you know, in Trump's presidential race or presidential term, the Republicans lost massively. And this all, all, the one recent counterexample was George Bush in 2002. Hit, the Republicans picked up seats yeah, in, the, thing, yeah. in, the, uh, in the midterms. But other than that, every president has mm -hmm. lost massive numbers. Yeah, according to most polling data, if if a president is below fifty percent approval rating, the median loss in the House is something like thirty-seven seats for his party. Yeah, uh, Biden is at forty-one, forty-two percent. Only something like twenty-four, twenty-six percent of people think the country is going in the right direction. He is the, the Democrats are going to get wiped out in the House. They probably will lose the Senate, but it's going to happen. And then the question is like, how do Democrats respond to it, and how do Republicans respond to that? So a quick question here, because the thing that Hillary said, obviously inflammatory, mm -hmm. sounds a bit crazy, but Curtis Yarvin, Fox This Week, we have this story about the influence of Curtis Yarvin in the Republican Party. I prefer to call GD. him Mencius Moldbug. Yes, yes. His, <laughs> you know, when his, you cosplay, his I, I don't yes. dead name him. Okay? <laughs> I think he's going by his regular name he's now. The, you know, he's the only guy who said, no, I am Hufflepuff. I'm totally Hufflepuff. I'm staying there during Thanksgiving break, as a matter of fact. I'll have the dorm to myself. So he's, he's described as kind of like the intellectual godfather of the new right. Um, and I, I, I mean, he's he's being quoted by people who Which are running is to for say that now. he has a car and a license so he can <laughs> run out and get you know our diet RC cola. Well, he's writing books, and some people are paying attention to them. JD Vance quoting him saying that he urged Donald Trump, should he win another term, to seize the institutions of the left. That's the quote. Yeah. Every single mid-level bureaucrat in the U.S. government 
replace them with our people and defy the Supreme Court if it tries to stop him. That is me reading uh, kind of a quote, but also just the beginning of this um, piece in Vox. I mean, I've read some of Yarvin's material. I know you gentlemen are are familiar with it. He, Vaguely, he, yeah. He hates democracy, which, yeah. I mean, I have some I mean, skepticism he refers to himself as a monarchist, in general. Right? He refers to himself as yeah. a monarchist and talks about overthrowing the government in some way, shape, or form. Essentially, winning an election and running on, as soon as I get into office, I'm going to eviscerate the federal government and get rid of everyone, and I'm going to see if the courts try to stop me. Mm. Which, okay. his, his perspective, the quote that's in there a few times, actually, I think it might even be in like the subhead, that he thinks that this could be a beautiful, it could be a beautiful, peaceful revolution. Could be totally fine. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that's what Lenin Possibly. said, Possibly. Yeah. But then again. I, I, no, I mean, look, we uh, assign so much importance to these people because they do always have some somebody like a J.D. Vance or a Blake Masters or people who are like in that universe who like them, talk about them, et cetera. But you go back in American history and you can go back every decade and mm -hmm. there's there are people like this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's uh, we were talking about this before. Rachel Maddow has this absurd new podcast that I'm going to do a podcast <laughs> about because it's so crazy. But there's a bit in which she talks about, about a podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, it's we're getting very meta here. Yeah, it's like the infinite that. regress of podcasts. Yeah, yeah. But there's a bit like when she talks about the Silver Shirts, which was a <laughs> totally ridiculous organization of pro-fascist people in America. Yep. And they end up having some communication with people in Congress who are also America firsters. People want to stay out of the war. They want to stay out Including, of the war because uh, they're pro-German, right? But uh, these people but want to stay out of the war for, for other reasons. So people like Norman Thomas. Norman, and, yeah, well, those yeah, people do. a ton of lefties. Uh, well, it's well, also yeah, not yeah, mentioned, yeah. I will be talking about this, not mentioned in the podcast that one of the guys that is the the focal point of a lot of uh, a lot of her kind of conspiracy theories is somebody who spoke at various mm -hmm. communist rallies, too. And, you know, spoke uh, admiringly of Stalin and Lenin. Yeah. And like these people don't have a kind of ideological yeah. core in that sense. They just have this sort of revolutionary mindset. But we're doing this thing now that we're kind of, you know, overemphasizing their influence. Right. I right. mean, that these uh, Curtis Yarvin, it's like these are things that nobody fucking talks about unless you're on Twitter and unless you're a journalist, unless you're in a very small kind of, I mean, that's the thing is everybody I talk to in journalism world is talking about the threats to democracy. And then you look at that New York Times Siena poll, what do people think about this? It's very, very low in the list. And then when you disaggregate that number, it's actually not even people on the left. It's about half right. and half. And it's Republicans saying, we think democracy is threatened by the media. Mm -hmm. We think it's threatened by money, et cetera. It's not even talking about like January 6th. People are just like, that's kind of in the rear view mirror for most people, but not for people in the media. Mm -hmm. Particularly when you see actually, you know, opinion polls about the January 6th committee, which is that it's not it's moved remarkable. anyone yeah. a fucking inch, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, the first one, people watched the first, uh, I think the first episode uh, <laughs> when Charlotte Ray was on and they were doing a thing with like different She's so good on. in everything. She's great. She was yeah. great in that. Yeah. And then people just kind of forgot about it, you know? And they had some like, like needed ABC a better theme song. <laughs> you know, January 6th. Maybe that's what we need, like uh, theme songs for, you know, for hearing. We need to get Mike Post Again, on that. Uh, Rob, Robin Thicke, he's not doing anything, yes, right? Yeah. He's got a lot of time. Alan Thicke. He's the son of Alan Thicke. <laughs> yes. who, I, I'm sorry, I'm having a Fetterman moment, but Alan Thicke <laughs> wrote the theme to Facts of Life. He did. Did he? Yes. Yeah, as well and, as, uh, um, yes. uh, what's the other, what's the one it was a spinoff from? Uh, uh, different Strokes. Different Strokes. Yeah, this yeah. is the second week in a row that we've, like, not second week, second recording in no, a row. No, 
if we you talked about Robin are smart Thicke. enough to subscribe to the yeah. Substack, you will hear a very long uh, <laughs> conversation about Robin Thicke's blurred lines. Yes. And mm-hmm. the brilliant woman who, when I saw her in that video, I said she needs to write a book. Yes. Um, I hope in the future she writes a book. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. And Emily and she uh, did. Ratatouille yeah. Uh, yeah. Ra- wrote a book. And, and, it, that, and that song, despite the criticism, and you can listen to Camille the entire defense. defense. Yeah. It's not just the defense. This, the this greatest is a feminist romantic ode. song. It is a feminist ode. Yeah. It's yeah. about the power of women. Yeah. It's in Chevy Van. Yeah, absolutely. You should listen yeah. to this song. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was written, written by Benny Friedan. It yeah. was not. <laughs> it was written by Alan Fick. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robin. Or but John yeah. Cafferty of the Some, Beaver Brown Band. Yeah, actually, I don't know that he wrote the song. Um, and in a way, Marvin Gaye kind of wrote the song. Didn't Pharrell Williams he's, write the uh, he's, song? Uh, he's he, the well, he was he was he I was in he, the yeah, judgment yeah, against yeah, it, yeah, right? Yeah. Yes, he was. Which is literally a Marvin Gaye song. It's yeah. the, the, I'm in. I'm on the side of the Gaye family on that one. It party. is the same thing. Yeah, I know. But like every pop song is a ripoff of every. That one's like a that. little it's aggressive. The same song. Nah, I don't know. I mean, it's not like My Sweet Lord level. Uh, <laughs> but it is, it is uh, the she's so fine of the vaguely rapey songs. Well, I feel like we we've now introduced Pharrell into the conversation, and it's a very short. So can we jump talk about from the Pharrell hat, to Kanye West? Is, no, okay. Camille's just trying to get to Kanye. Always. Well, I, yeah. I just think it's important. I mean, this is a very consequential week. There's been in, an incredible amount of attention on this man, who for most of the last twenty years has been a sort of centerpiece yeah. of our culture. He just has. I mean, I don't know that any person has been more influential. He's, he's, he was the first person who told us that George Bush didn't care about black people. And yeah. what did Mike Myers well, I'm sure he wasn't first. <laughs> but, but you know what? Nothing. He's the one you remember. He's the one I remember, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And Mike Myers yeah. knew to stay in his yeah, place. Yeah, Mike Myers was like, he, not your place he to literally looked this. like That Wayne. was, you know, Mike Myers didn't have a hit after that. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and, then, yeah. and then right after that was Chris Tucker, right? That makes it even more funny to me. Wait, Chris Tucker was on the broadcast yeah. after oh, Kanye? yeah. I Did think he was, also say this Connie something? and Mike Myers stunned, yes, and yes. then two seconds later, it goes to Chris Tucker. Who's just, who's like, just wow. standing there? Yeah. He's just like, <laughs> shocked. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Chris Tucker like stopped. the funniest 10 seconds in yeah, television it was, history. It was amazing. Wow. It was truly amazing. <laughs> amazing. No yeah. one said at the time, though, that he was having a mental health episode. No, he was brave. It was actually clarity. He was brave. Yeah. We didn't yeah. know. Yeah. We didn't know. But we've always said, we've, collectively, Americans, that Kanye is a bit of an asshole, and he's a wild card, and he says yeah. things that are unpopular. Did he say that before that or after he pushed Taylor Swift off the stage? He didn't. I don't believe Bush he touched first. her. Or he tackled so when we what are you say talking about? I saw it. I saw it. It was on right after uh, Mandela's funeral. Yeah. Yeah, he said, he, but he did let her finish at some point. He did do what he yeah. said, and he just told the truth about Beyonce. But obviously, yeah. no, you that, probably I mean, you know, know something you about... You don't have to be on Beyonce's side in order to be against Taylor Swift. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. <laughs> I want to think about that in return. <laughs> I want to think about that and come back to it. <laughs> We've all heard the controversy involving Kanye and the, the, the talk of his comments um, on... I don't even know. What was the first place he uttered these comments? Oh, it was Twitter, during the Tucker. It was the Tucker, Tucker situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he does the interview on Tucker. He does the interview on Tucker. And then people from... From uh, Moynihan's uh, publication, actually. yes, yeah, very outed. Yeah, the no, they, they, I, I very impressively got uh, the footage. I don't know how they did, but yeah, they got but, the they got the audio. Yeah. I'm betting Tucker gave it to them. I don't I don't <laughs> think so. You know, in the, in the past when this there. sort of stuff has happened, like there's a centralized repository of all of the archival material inside the News Corp building, or at least there mm-hmm. has been historically. Yeah, yeah, sure. And when this has happened before, it's someone else on another show 
who goes back and looks at this material. Oh, you think it's like Hannity? And he, like, like pull this it out and send Hannity it. Well, is, Hannity was at the center of one of these before. Yeah. I don't remember exactly who the guest was, but that's where I've seen this before. This says the thumbprints of Judge Janine Pirro. <laughs> that, all I over. I wouldn't put it yeah. past her. Um, but in either case, this has gone on for a number of weeks, and the sort of pressure was mounting on Kanye. This past week, or at least since we last recorded, Balenciaga had dropped him and said they would no longer work with him, which is kind of a big deal in that he's been very closely associated but now this has become a far more serious issue. Athletes have defected from Donda Sports, his agency that he had started. He'd already lost his banking relationship, but that seems to have been a weirdly that was reported. Beforehand. That was like a yeah, month yeah. ahead of time. But he's been dropped by his record label. Adidas. He's been dropped mm. by the sub-brand that he was actually signed to on the record label, Adidas. Suppose most consequentially, because they lost like $400 million. His talent agency? they estimate. Yeah. Mm. His talent agency, the, a company that was making a documentary with him, um, the company that does touring. You get the picture. Everyone has mm. run away from him as quickly as possible. There's been a... a, a Ice Cube seems to be doing fine. <laughs> well, he hasn't said anything yeah, publicly. Uh, I don't know. Professor uh, no, he Graf. has. Oh, he did? What did he say? He has. Yeah. He, he said something after Kanye in that uh, podcast, like the beer, like the drinking. Drink stuff. champs. Drink yeah, champs. With, with Nori. Yeah. So he's, I don't know what that is, but he's he's on that thing. <laughs> That's the one where they clap after every bad point Kanye makes. Oh, is that what they did? <laughs> yeah, they clap like. They did. There's a lot of clapping. Pause to oh. clap like every 30 seconds. Yeah, it's, it's actually it's like bizarre a, it's like a to kindergarten watch kindergarten classroom, but more bigotry. That, I just well, saw maybe not nowadays though. There's a lot of bigotry in kindergarten. Class. Yeah, he apparently. Yeah. apparently he's, yeah. But apparently, shout out Chris Rufo. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Chris Rufo. Um, but he apparently in that said, you know, uh, the equivalent of the old drug commercial when he's like, "I learned it from watching you, Ice Cube." And, oh, wow. and Ice Cube yeah. kind of did. And Ice Cube came off. out. He, he, he came out. He was like, he was like, "Keep your." I guess it's a everybody gets it from Will yeah. Smith now. He's like, "Keep my, your name, uh, my name, out of your mouth," kind of thing. And it's like, no, no, you're like, wait, like, did Ice Cube really say that? Yeah, yeah. I he's that. like legitimately anti-Semitic. He's oh done like some yeah. some fucking crazy th- things, and he's like an NOI guy. And he's been photographed with uh, uh, Minister Farrakhan. He, there was a, there used to be an ad, by the way, for the Final Call, the the yeah. National Islam newspaper, with Ice Cube <laughs> holding it open as you generally read the Final Call, just standing yeah. like looking at yeah. the gatefold, the spread in the middle with all these fruits of Islam behind him. Yeah. And that was an ad for the paper, which is like one of the most ridiculously, and I say ridiculously yeah. advisedly, anti-Semitic papers because it has like all the crazy. You know, he he yeah, actually yeah. is the one, he actually. Tweeted, we talked about this the other day, but we, I didn't know this that Ice Cube was involved in this. He tweeted something about the Sphinx, the shooting the nose off because oh, yeah. it was recognizable <laughs> yeah. and not erosion, which is what it was. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway. So, that's like the Tom Selleck ads for National Review in the <laughs> yes, 1980s. That's right. Ice Cube. <laughs> he did those. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, well, we've, we've all seen this stuff. I mean, Coleman, you are uh, a commentator on the culture, on various other issues, yes. but you're also a musician, mm-hmm. a hip hop artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you've taken this very hard, as I have to watch Kanye have to endure all of this completely unfair criticism is what I believe you said. Um, <laughs> well, how have like, you responded to this? Because I'm, I'm sure you've watched the interviews, like the Drink I, Champs. Yeah, I watched and, the entire Drink Champs. I yeah. watched the entire... Which is a lot. I mean, it was like an hour and a half, yeah. maybe two, three hours. Yeah, this guy's churning out. I watched the entire Piers Morgan. I, yeah. ha- I have not seen the Lex. Okay. You, um, should, you should watch the Lex. That is the best performance anyone has had in trying to corral Kanye. Yeah. I thought Piers did a pretty good job too in terms of criticizing his the anti-Semitism, but 
not demonizing him completely as a person. I mean, in, in the Piers interview, he apologized twice, actually, mm-hmm. to the what Jewish the, community. To the Jews or the so-called Jews? To the Jews. <laughs> he said, as a Jew and a black person, yeah. I apologize to the Jewish community for, for the harm that Wait, I caused. Did he say as a Jew? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Throughout the whole podcast, he was saying as a black person and a Jew. Oh. You know, the whole black Israelite thing. Yeah, yeah. But, it's, but it's a weird it's, bastardization yeah. of the black Israelite thing. It is. He's not suggesting that they're not Jews as well. Right. He's saying that I we're all you, Jews collectively, which is weird. It's, is he? Is he? Yeah, it's, it's incoherent. This is, my, this is right. my thing with Kanye. Right. At least was, like Rod Carew is just like, I'm Jewish. Like, <laughs> old school Jewish. Yeah. There, are things, Sammy. there are things that he is saying <laughs> yeah. that are obviously offensive. Wish Sammy was alive for this. And there's a lot more things that he is saying that are just incoherent and don't really make sense and, and suggest it, to me that he kind of doesn't know what he's talking about. Can I about. ask, why does that trouble you? Like, at what point were you like, I expect my well, it's not, pop stars to be It's not so much that it troubles me. I mean, that's very much on brand in a lot of yeah. important respects. I think the issue, though, is the cacophony of concern from the public okay. and the, the bold statements, the bold proclamation that this is anti-Semitism and generally the numerous notifications that we are distancing ourselves from Kanye West for, personal, for various reasons and it's always nonspecific. And I suspect it's because a lot of people aren't actually watching like the full yeah. Drink Champs the episode. Is, the Drink Champs episode was bad. Like There's it really it was anti-Semitic yeah. and, I, and, not, and worse than that, Kanye is such a charismatic guy that when he's anti-Semitic, I really get the feeling he is persuading <laughs> right, me. Right. Like, I totally agree with him. I'm like, him. shit, maybe he's right. But I want to <laughs> so drill down. I want to drill down but, on the but, nature but of the gonna, anti-Semitism but, in the comments that he's making. Sure. Yeah. But then, but I was gonna say the the Piers Morgan episode was much more a portrait of a complicated person that has had bad experiences with Jewish lawyers, and overreacted to them but is capable of seeing his own overreaction as an overreaction mm-hmm. at least in some of his moods and that's the thing is like he's so moody and the lex conversation is very much the same thing in fact right in the lex conversation I how think many I heard, hours is, is that the, the lex one, one like is almost hours the lex is almost two hours no it's balaji that he sat down oh, okay with, yeah, and they yeah. talked for like eight hours which is oh, wow. crazy i didn't yeah. see that no. Um, I don't even I think, think that's a short breaks. conversation for yeah. Balaji. Yeah. All of it is <laughs> But the weird thing about this is that, you know, I mean, first of all, there's the Ice Cube thing, and there's the fact that this has been so common in hip-hop, specifically about yeah. lawyers, too. Yeah. I mean, it's in an old, um, I think, is it an is it a, a Easy e video or a Dr. Yeah. Dre video, yeah. in which they have the, like, the Shylock-type lawyer who's yeah, yeah. supposed to be the NWA lawyer. Yes. And there's, a, I haven't seen the NWA movie, but apparently there's a bit of that in the film, too. And, you know, there's a number of people that you can find in the hip-hop world. Obviously, Kanye's bigger than them all. He's it's in the yeah. lyrics, too. Yeah, yeah it's in the yeah. lyrics, too. But, it's, I mean, you, there's, uh, you know, obviously. But not in Kanye's lyrics. Can I? Public uh, Enemy had this problem, too. Uh, with yeah, electronica, Griff, and there's a lot of this over. stuff. But one of the things that I find an annoying about the response to this, before we get to, is this maybe an overreaction to you know make sure that he has nothing at the end of the day, is the n- new narrative that is based on nothing whatsoever except for a photograph in L.A. of these guys who are pretty well-known in L.A. for doing anti-Semitic things. They have, like, oh, yeah, videos yeah, in yeah, their cars. They're these nuts. Yeah. And they put this thing out. And now there has been a thing on cable news, on Twitter, that there has now been an explosion of anti-Semitism because of Kanye. Mm. All of these people were philo-Semites, and now they don't think the Holocaust <laughs> happened because they watched a podcast <laughs> of Kanye West. It's like, you know what? That's mm. bullshit, number one. Number two is that we talk about hate crimes in this country ad infinitum, and nobody ever recognizes that every year for the past 10, 15, maybe 20 years— 
the number one on that list for 1% of 2% of the population is anti-Semitic hate crimes. I mean, this is nothing right. new here, and we're pretending that this is new. Wait, so you're saying anti-Semitism is nothing new? Let's move on. I'm saying this is rare for Kanye to be so derivative. Actually, not so much. I noticed actually. an uptick after he collaborated with Kenny G. <laughs> yeah. But no, I mean, this, I, I find yeah. I find this quote unquote debate about this. But the question is this, is that is it OK? Because this is the thing that we talked about. And I wanted to get Nick's opinion on this, because Nick has a deep knowledge of people who are musicians with shitty uh, politics. There, I've actually yet to find one who has good politics. Well, that's why. Yeah. Uh, so there's the headline on Drudge is Spotify keeps streaming. And it goes to an article that Daniel Ek, the Swedish CEO, had spoken out about uh, Kanye's comments and called them <laughs> awful, et cetera, and said that it's really just his music and his music doesn't violate our policy. It's up to his label if they want to take action or not. The fact that people <laughs> are good. saying that shit, like that's a good, a good response. Yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. response. Yeah. But the fact that there is an expectation now, and I've yes. seen a lot of this on Twitter, like, they yeah. got to get him off. You yeah, can't yeah. listen to this anymore. Somehow, can we get Cloudflare involved? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. To shut down yeah. all traffic. <laughs> to like... I think Daniel Ek has a really good head on his shoulders about this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had I, I met him Although a few months ago. About, about what? About this or about, about like, stuff in general? Music, music freedom. Yeah, like, so, well, I, I asked him during the um, Neil Young yeah. sort of controversy, Joe Rogan mm -hmm. thing, and I was like. And NDRE, I guess. Yeah, I was like, "What do you what, what do you make of this?" And he said, "Well, listen, we have we have these problems in every country in the world. In India, there's, there's like Muslims wanted to, want us to take, you know, Hindu music down, and yeah. like our our policy is like we're not doing anything, and, and, yeah. and we can be kind of West centric. But he had a very global view of it. He was which, like, which by the way is a good thing to have. Side with any, you know, yeah. But they haven't faction. done that with their pot with their podcast stuff. I mean, they've kind of sort of backed Rogan for the most part, but I think they kind of yeah. have some obligations there. But they've also the Gimlet purchase that they made, mm. the centerpiece of that was Reply All, and they allowed it to melt down mm. behind one of these woke traverses. Mm -hmm. And the company yeah, but, itself has been pretty well roiled by a lot of this stuff as well. But that seems okay. Yeah. I mean, if the Gimlet people are idiots and they're gonna But, eat but their they own were tails. Spotify employees at that point. They were yeah. working for Spotify. This is a, so. What a Spotify I mean, but should they just continue running Reply All with different people who aren't idiots, or I don't I mean, know? They, they I mean, they eventually had to to end the show because of a controversy involving two people on the staff, which right. one would imagine that doesn't actually end the show, except this this thing. So what you're saying when poisonous. you can get rid of uh, Welch and Moynihan? The <laughs> yeah. I would I would never. I love carrying them on my shoulders uh, too much. Uh, so I, one strong. thing I wanted to say about Easy E, this was back in the uh -oh. 90s and I was living in LA working for Reason and uh, David uh, Horowitz, you know, yes. the right wing mm -hmm. nut job who was a red diaper baby who became a a, a Democrat for Reagan. It was a big deal. He was, he's one of the original culture warriors and we're yes. still kind of Fighting Heterodoxy on, magazine yeah. and everything, yeah. But he had these meetings every uh, month, and I sat next to a guy who was a South African Jew, Jewish lawyer, mm -hmm. whose client was Easy E. That is, yes, and mm -hmm. I was like, I, I like, I walked out of this fancy hotel, and I was like, who do I tell this to? Because <laughs> this was before the why. I mean, like, this is dynamite. That's you know, the, that Easy that's the conspiracy. E, they allowed them to make that music. To hurt yeah. People. You know, I, and uh, yeah. By the way, Nation of Islam. I just found out two weeks ago that the guy who created it is a white guy. Yeah, 
Is that right? I didn't How know did that. you you only found that out? Wait, who's yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean? L- who's L- Louis yeah. Louis Fer- uh, sorry, yeah, Lu- no. Elijah Muhammad. Elijah Muhammad inherited it from a guy from Wallace Fard Muhammad. Yeah, who kind of disappears. Yes. He, like, like he a, just leaves a trail. So Wallace yeah. Fard Muhammad is considered yeah. God incarnate and and Elijah Muhammad is his is his prophet. And but but Wallace Fard Muhammad, by most yeah. accounts, he was a mysterious man. But by he most accounts, he was, was like probably white, Syrian or Lebanese. So or might have been like he, half, it is fantastic. He might have been like half Afghani and yeah. half. Caucasian. We, we, I got an email uh, from a listener today who's a listener crazy. and a friend yeah. of right. ours. It's really of interesting. And she um, asked, you know, hey, maybe you'd know this. And actually, I don't actually know this. And she said, are there any good books on the Nation of Islam? Because I've been kind of going down this rabbit hole after the Kanye <laughs> stuff. And I'm like, actually, I. I don't know if there are any there, good books. There's on definitely well, there's one that about protocols of the elders of Zion. That's book. a great it's book. A good primer. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, it's yeah. good. It's a good that primer. Was, oh, it tells you all the truth. <laughs> yeah, Henry Ford. That's you know, we remember him for the cars, <laughs> yeah. but it's really for but not publishing, for the publishing <laughs> the protocols. Uh, there is a biography about Elijah Muhammad, and uh, that goes into the Wallace, Wallace Ford, yeah stuff a lot. Um, yeah. I How know much I read did he do? Was he responsible for like the Yakub stuff? Yeah, yeah, He came up really the eschatology. I think was sort of dictated to. Elijah yeah. Muhammad, and he he is he is considered by Elijah Muhammad to be God in the flesh, God on earth. There's a great Wikipedia page on this as a starting point, you know, and then yeah. follow the links. It's it, and he's you know he the guy is kind of clearly a grifter in a kind of like early 20th century he sort of died mode. Young, yeah, well, right? he, he, he died fades aged. away. He disappears. And there's like there's he 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 used like 20 different aliases in yeah. his name. Yeah, in yeah. His and I, they, there's like a whole charting of like he was in Southern California yeah. for a while, and it's just it's you know the world man. was filled in you know the same way with um, uh, Joseph Smith and whatnot in the 1830s and 40s. There were all sorts of people kind of doing these kinds of things. Mystics mm-hmm. and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's but really, But he did not look blacker than you do. No, 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 <laughs> I mean, no, I don't Maybe think so. slightly well, I'm, more. I, I look slightly. Turkish, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so you have the same Dr. Oz. Like, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I guess actually, given my fact. heritage, that being Turkish is kind of a step up. Yeah, from being Italian. Uh, yeah, yeah, and <laughs> Irish. Either way, a little like, swarthy for sure. You know, I look in the mirror and I just see an American. I just see, I just see Nick. That's it. He's just a good guy. Um, so to, to talk about the Kanye thing, yeah. because part of my issue here is that people aren't really being specific in a lot of their criticism. In general, like the easy thing to do is the kind of broad sweeping declaration, like that's anti-Semitic, which is a great categorical denunciation, but it doesn't tell me what he said. And there are definitely things that he said specifically that would make one very uncomfortable. I think I'd mentioned last week the thing about like the Zionists who were somehow responsible <laughs> for his wife sleeping with yes. Davidson. Yes. Yeah. Which again led me to believe Heronatic he doesn't know God. what the, what the yeah. Zionist yeah. is. That's From Staten Island. That's the one that really he's like not a member of the Wu Tang But the other so thing, like, the thing that he's gotten in, in real trouble for is talking specifically about well, first, the first thing he did was the DEFCON 3 tweet, where he yeah. says he's going to go DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Which, DEFCON, because I don't yeah, think he understood what, what that means. No, it doesn't. You know no, what? I love the, the actually guys who were like, you know, actually, DEFCON 3 is like, you know, it's, it's like <laughs> it's fairly. Yeah, it's, this it's was Kanye barely, himself uh, defending himself. Uh, yeah. He says it's defensive. <laughs> but but he, said, he talked about the Jewish, the Jewish media. Right. Doing things, he talked about the Jews who control entertainment. Do you think and the all, Jews getting, who are responsible for controlling the black voice? Do you think all of the things that have happened to him 
is going to make him more or less anti-Semitic. Oh yeah. Well, this is, but this is, but I, I want to. I mean, he's lost everything. I, I seriously want to give things. He, 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 has, like, he has a he lost it because of Jews. But I want to take a step back. That's here. what he thinks. Yeah. I really yeah. want to take a step back here because there's something, especially it's especially clear in the Lex podcast, mm. and you can actually hear it yeah. in the drinks drink champs podcast as well. If Kanye West was saying the same kinds of things that there are. There's a class of people who are overrepresented in positions of power mm. in various industries who, because of their position of power, the system of control that they have, the system of supremacy, are having a deleterious impact on the quality of life of black people. It's systematic, you see. It's systemic. It's just built in. So it's like this Harvey Weinstein that needs to be confronted. the well, Rodney King more, it's riots, a, It's right? a different, different analogy, actually. Yeah. Um, but... They're hurting black people, and we need to do something about it. We have to oppose this because the quality of these people is the problem. Whiteness is the problem. This is precise. What he is talking about is precisely the way that people talk about like whiteness in this country. It is this sort of fashionable way to tribalize and racialize everything. So why does he pick on the Jews well, this as is, opposed to the whites? This is or, or in the legacy of like the music. The nation of Islam. There's two, well, there's I, I was two, just going to say in music, in music, uh, attacking the critics, no, there's the two, record labels, the lawyers, no, 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 the there's suits. Two, there's two like things going thing. on here. There's two things going on here. And it's especially clear, again, in the Lex Friedman interview, the Jews are overrepresented. Mm-hmm. in some of these roles in leadership in the music industry. Like, Lear Cohn is a huge hip-hop um, producer. Not producer, he owns a label. Right. I think it's 300 or something like that. Like, there are, there are these bosses who are prominent in the industry. They are disproportionately successful, and to the extent you are paying close attention to that kinds of thing, like talking in these categorical ways yeah. about people and attributing all of the qualities of individuals to an entire group and making them either culpable or jointly sort of guilty and suffering. That's kind of the way that we talk. And no, what it, makes me right. uncomfortable is you're that right. there is no there is no one who is really making the connection between the kind of crass simplistic tribalist way that most people talk about things today that is generally accepted but that Kanye is doing in this context which is unacceptable for various reasons because of the unique historical context but in many respects is just kind of the contemporary way that we talk about every fucking thing I I remember there was a graphic maybe two years ago where someone posted all the faces of a bunch of people that work at CNN and MSNBC Mm -hmm. and looked at how many were Jews and it was right. much more than 2%. Yeah. And this person was an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist guy. Truth yeah. But <laughs> the the argument he was making was structurally identical to the argument that people make just about white people and white supremacy and systemic racism, right? But like it's if if, if 60% also, right? of people if, No, I mean if, no, if, if because whiteness is a broader category. I mean, yeah, but that's Jew, not Jews. Jews logically category too. I mean, it's, so, it's but, but, a but his argument is: why, why are Jews one percent of 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 like of the population, but 15 percent of this? That's yeah. no different than saying why are white people so, 60 percent of the population, but eighty percent of but you know, yeah. it's structurally the same thing. And I th- I think it was, I, I forget if it was, who who it was that put it this way, but you know, systemic racism. It, it, it's often like a conspiracy theory without the con- without right. the conspirators. Can I, uh, mm-hmm. Two quick points. One, and I mentioned this everything. recently yeah. in a in a private conversation with Camille. Uh, but uh, no, is this okay uh, that, to talk about? what's what's interesting is that you know uh, Jewish Jewish people are like uh, 
you know, like one or two percent of the U.S. population. But in New York City, they're like 15 or 16 percent of the population. Mm -hmm. And in the 1920s, they were as high as like 20 percent. So there are more Jews in New York, I believe, than blacks, than people of Italian descent, than Mm -hmm. people of Irish descent. Mm -hmm. So it's actually kind of not a mystery if New York is a place where, you know, there's a lot of Jews, uh, you know, and they've been around. They've been here for 100 years or more. And yeah, they're going to be in a lot of right. But a lot what, of business. What is true of that is also true of almost any disparity you can name on Earth, because right. people yeah. are never randomly sure, you know, dispersed yeah. throughout the world. Yeah. Um. You know, and and industries are nothing so, is random. So are you well, saying though that culture, basically every disparity has a story like that, which yeah. which which um which gives an explanation that doesn't require right. any kind of bias or like nefariousness, yeah. right? Right. No. I, and so you're yeah. saying then, but do you gr- agree with Camille that we all think, so, yeah. think in these broad tribal terms? No, we, not, I, don't, gonna, oh, I don't. I okay, don't. I'm not I pretending don't. that I'm like an <laughs> paragon of well, colorblindness, but I really don't. Uh, well, it's well, not. Camille is pointing out, I think, right? A hypocrisy. Yes. Which is I that see. we're all okay. coming down on Kanye for thinking this way. Yeah. Why are Jews so successful and why are blah, blah, blah. And yet, every, turn any given day in America, yeah. we are talking this way. About other ethnic groups. I mean, right. this is this is right. Joanne Reed and that other, what's her name? I forget her name. Tiffany Cross. <laughs> Tiffany Cross. This yeah. is this is their stock in yeah. trade. The great. This is Tiffany this Cross? is what they do. The mon- yeah. You know, I'll find a montage and I'll insert it here, or you'll hear them denigrating whiteness in all sorts of weird ways. Many of us have seen the dangers when powerful white people decide they want something, they annex it, and they've never had a problem replacing the people who stand in their way. We see American white people are, are going crazy. They're going. They're resorting to violence. This is literally what conservative white folks do when they don't get their way. They turn violent. White people deputizing themselves in some position of authority to have jurisdiction over their life when they need to mind their blanking business. I don't think it's our responsibility to be tasked with destroying and dismantling the uh, racial oppression that's against us. That's just saying we're more at fault than the white people who constructed this system and the white people who continue to practice institutional racism. A majority of white people do not support policies that would unpack and unroll and reform this system of justice. This is what they want. Matt Gates is giving the white folks what they want. There's a New York Times article with the whole, the whole uh, conceit of it was we looked at the 500 most powerful people in America yes. by whatever stupid fucking metric we determined <laughs> yeah. that, and look how many of them are white. Yes. That is logically yeah. identical to, yeah. to anti-Semitic I guess, Michael, this would be thinking, a good time to point out that they're both wearing I'm Kanye, they're both White Lives Matter t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> that, is not, that is not true, and I would have advised against that, but not for the reasons people think. Yeah, it's not. Can I, can I, can I yeah. submit some evidence sure. to the jury quickly? You'll oh, do anything okay. to get Kanye off, by the way. You see, I have so much invested, like, I in do. cash in Kanye products. I do. He has to say it was wrong to say there's no Jewish media. There's no Jewish... Uh, there isn't? There's no control of the media by Jewish people. If you're an people. engineer, brother, if you're an engineer and you're not holding to the truth, that's not engineering. Engineering is not... That's not... That doesn't... That's hate. That's not engineering. Engineering no, it's, it's says, called, I'm going to build a better record label. It's called stereotypes. And I'm going to respect our... Stereotypes exist for a reason. Engineers don't do stereotypes. I do. Stereotypes are dumb. They allow you to channel hate towards the other. You know what the biggest thing is? Yeah. Even if I said, hey, I'd like to make a company that's all black. 
Right? Is that okay for me to say? Is that okay for me to say? Or is that anti-Semitic? I don't know, man. I have to No, be no, actually... listen. What, if you were, if I said I didn't want to have the Jewish people in the company, would that be anti-Semitic? It would sound like it, right? You'd say I'm from 1930s, right? Yeah. But for me as a tribe to say, no, I want an all-black company, right? I'm generally against that kind of thing. But you, first of all, you have the right to do whatever the hell you want. This is America. Well, what I'm saying is that's what I feel may need to happen for my people to have power again. Because when my people have been left under the media's control... We've been made sick. We've been allowed to be sick. We've been promote, and we're promoting sickness. I think, at least in the engineering realm, I haven't met an engineer who happens to be black who would like to be called a black engineer. And when you have a company of all black people that are engineers, I don't know the creative arts. I apologize, but engineering, they really try to look at each other as humans and look at the problem, and. You want to know, you want to have the confidence that everybody on the team is the best possible person for the job. And what I can say Lex is... Lex go on to have this exchange where he's saying explicitly, Lex, Jews run the media, like they control the media. And he says, you can't say it that way because it, of the history of anti-Semitism. He says, but it's technically accurate. I mean, you're an engineer. It's just true that there are a lot of Jews who are involved in the media. Like he's making this seemingly crisp analytical claim about Jews and their representation. And I mean, granted, one has to actually define these terms and he doesn't really. And he makes the same sort of claims about white people. It is, I think, very much analogous to the way that we talk about these other issues. And again, the, histor the historical context like matters a lot. Mm. The fact that these are old, gross tropes that have been parroted by a number of people. And Kanye is confronted with this fact. He seems to acknowledge it and apologizes in different ways, but is still determined to say these things despite that. And, I, and in a way, I, I kind of analogize it to him playing in traffic and like knowingly courting controversy as he's done throughout his career yeah, yeah. And, and appreciating that this is going to cost him something. Look, he's I, the Marilyn Manson Maybe he's being self-destructive. I don't know. But in either case, it just it's complicated and messy in a way that I don't think anyone I is think, acknowledging, uh, no, and maybe I, they're fine with that, but I am uncomfortable with watching look, the machinery destroy the guy. I, I just in some I way, tend to form. not like to see the machinery destroy anyone, but that's that's my perspective. I, you know, but also, does, like he, does he deserve it? I mean, does he know what he's doing? Should he have seen this coming? Without a doubt, there's no uh, doubt about uh, it. Yes to all that. Yeah, yeah. To the, but there's also some hypocrisy. To, to the first to the first point, I mean, obviously, it surprises me that nobody makes the point that you just made and that Coleman uh, made too is that we have created this way of thinking. We have created this kind of superstructure of, of you know, the, there are identities, and these identities have representation. We must always be counting them mm -hmm. in trying to fight against disparities in, rep uh, in representation, right. which only makes sense in certain ways, right? I mean, there's right. Not, it's not always that we want that to happen. It's no. a certain thing. Uh, we're yeah. not having these conversations about the NBA, obviously. But we're having <laughs> these conversations about other things. But, the, the, but there's the Vox article, Why is Baseball So White? Right. Yeah, the unbearable Which whiteness is, of baseball. It's, I think it's that's also like literally thirty years too late. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and by the way, there is there is a story I mean, that you know this might be the first World Series where there's not a black player, and that is is that because of racism or is it because of young black kids not playing baseball as much as they should, and there being a lot of people disproportionately represented, say at shortstop from the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Should mm -hmm. we have fewer Dominicans? I mean, mm -hmm. it gets to that point where it's in complete well, madness. Now we're talking about immigration. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but the thing about the anti 
anti-Semitism thing is that the, it's not just a thing that people say that there are 2% of the population are Jewish and X number of percent are lawyers, X number of percent are people in media, et cetera. It is the some, conspiratorial some aspect prizes. of it that is, well, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's the conspiratorial aspect of it, number one. And it's the idea of Jews being aliens. That's always been the thing mm -hmm. that drove right. anti-Semitism. So, you know, what Jews would argue in, in Germany at the beginning of the Third Reich, you can particularly see this in Victor Klemperer's diaries, who is a Jewish philologist who actually survived mm -hmm. all through the, the war, 1945, being hidden by Germans, people that were friends to him. So, I mean, it's a really interesting look at how people dealt with fascism, anti-Semitism. But he, if, if you read the early diaries in the 33 and 34, all of these Jews are saying, I served in World War yeah. I. Yeah, yeah. I have an iron cross. I am as German as you are. The idea was not that there's too many of you. That was always used. It was that you are not one of us. You are not among us. It was a racial category. And that's the thing that when Kanye is talking about this in the way, and I think mm -hmm. you're right about this, in the way that people talk about representation of whites and representation of blacks and Hispanics and Asians, et cetera, that might be the way that he's thinking about it. I haven't listened to him talk about this and any, I don't really care about it that much. But if you listen to him and the NOI thing mm -hmm. is very similar to classic anti-Semitism in the sense that yes. this is an alien race of people I think that's, that complicates that things a, here with a, my theory. Yeah, that yes. are imposters. Yeah. That are imposters. They've taken over they have taken the over identity the, that belongs and, and to I, I admit that that complicates yeah, yeah. the narrative. But like, he does that yeah. a little bit. Like, yeah, but he, they're, they're friendly. He's yeah, playing audio yeah. of him talking to, to Farrakhan with Diddy, which yeah. I'm sure Diddy didn't necessarily want out there. But yeah. Farrakhan is like a fixture in hip hop. Yeah. Like he's always yeah, been everywhere. He's we almost, about almost as big as uh, Donald Trump. Uh, who is also a long time, uh, you know, in That's what I mean, as always. Yeah. But that was the thing. We were talking about this before we started, about Killer Mike. And I remembered, because you said something about, about Killer Mike, and him, there's a video of him, him, uh, and I think I'm pretty sure that this is true and not in my head, of, ki of, of Killer Mike with Farrakhan, and he's crying? No comment. I think he's, I think he's like, Ooh. weeping and, like, you know, in a positive way, like, look at all you've yeah. done. Well, maybe uh, Farrakhan, Farrakhan had sung one of the Calypso songs off of <laughs> yeah. his late 50s <laughs> record. You know this, right? Yeah, he's yeah, a look Calypso singer. I've heard from, about I think from Rox, Roxbury or Mattapan, yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. This is, this is like Dr. Dre's world-class wrecking crew. Yeah. <laughs> he's wearing the glitter. Do the turn off the lights. Do you know so about what, this, Coleman? No. You don't know about World yeah, Class Wrecking Crew? No, no. Oh, yeah. Well, look into this afterwards. Yes, there is a video of Minister Farrakhan and Killer Mike on the duty of hip-hop artists, and I think that at the beginning of this, he gets up with the microphone and he gets all weepy saying the great things that, that Farrakhan has done. Mm -hmm. in like, in, so how far do we go in the sense that, like, you know, is, <laughs> is the, like, act of praising Farrakhan, oh God. who himself is yeah. a basically an admitted anti-Semite, oh, yeah. somebody who has not backed away from this. You look at recent yeah, no, no. clips He's like, from the the You said there are cockroaches. He's like, well, yeah, I did. Yeah. No. <laughs> and, like, recently, he, he, he didn't look mean on YouTube. anything Hitler was a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah, he did actually say Hitler was yeah. a great man. He did. Yeah, yeah. and he was like, I was just talking about the economic policies. No, you're right. yeah. That's not what you're doing. So again, that's that, not what you're doing. So I want to say again, yeah. that complicates things so, with respect to my wait, what is your, um, <laughs> So what is your beef here then? So my, my beef is, this is twofold. Okay. One is that I don't think, I think it's important to differentiate between people who are earnestly condemning something that is bad right. and then making a decision to move away from a relationship versus yeah. people who are just, this is an act of self-preservation and this is a learned behavior. There is an infrastructure yeah. of cancellation, to use a word or that I'm, I have a little right? complicated yeah, yeah. relationship with, yeah. where you know the media apparatus spins up and punishes you, the algos on social media mm -hmm. are 
are pushing the story. There's this coordinated cor- corporate action in terms of canceling you. And then there's the cultural appetite to see people destroyed, to see them sanctioned and dismantled and eviscerated. And it makes me queasy. So that's, that is the first thing. The second thing, though, is that there is this very obvious parallel in the way that we kind of right. gutturally talk about race. And so, Kanye is doing it. And to the extent he's guilty of something, he is guilty of something that all of you people are. Right. And you need to acknowledge it yeah. and decide whether or not this is a hypocrisy we're willing to tolerate, or maybe we should actually be better. By the way, though, I think it's a hypocrisy Kanye himself is not aware of because uh, in, in the Piers Morgan interview, there was a part where he starts talking about the degree to which straight white men are demonized hmm. in yeah. our well, he, rhetoric. Yeah, he does it too. And I think he was right about that point. Uh-huh. But it, it, it's, uh, he can, for some reason, he can feel empathy for the generalizations lobbed and hurled at straight white men as a class, mm-hmm. but he feels less empathy for the generalizations he's lobbying at Jewish And he, and he talks about that stuff with Lex. And I, I will say this, like I've had, for some people, like Tucker, and actually I don't even think we talked about this, and I'm curious what you think about it, Moynihan, like the ethics of Tucker taking that audio mm. from the interview and not including it, where, where Kanye is mm. talking about anti-Semitism. Yeah. In the clip, I don't even, Tucker doesn't challenge him and say, no. hey, Kanye, that's uncomfortable. Instead, Tucker cuts it out, and then they yeah. air the interview mm-hmm. with that out, edited out, and yeah. Tucker says, oh, opening where? up, yeah. this seems like a very sane guy that you <laughs> want to pay close exactly. attention totally, to. Yeah. Totally sane and kind of conservative. <laughs> like, really. I mean, what, do you, what do you make of that? Yeah. That is the problem, actually. When he comes mm. back and says... You know, they say that he's crazy. He's yeah. not crazy. Yeah. Did you see a crazy person? It's like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't see the whole thing. If I had seen the whole thing, I'd be like, that guy's motherfucking crazy. Yeah. Exactly. But, I, I, if but it's I, not, I don't think he's crazy. If it's either. not something like that, I mean, I, I understand um, cutting things out, particularly if you think that somebody has like a deep mental illness. Mm-hmm. And, and that, if that's, if that's the problem, is when he comes out and says then. he's totally fine. Yeah. If you're dealing with somebody yeah. who has a mental illness and is also an artist, there's a lot of crazy shit. You're like, I kind of want to make this coherent. I want to keep this a kind of sort of normal, coherent interview and maybe cut that stuff out. But when the controversy is that, and the controversy is becoming that, right? I mean, because it happened before that. Before the Tucker interview, he was the anti-Semitism stuff out there before or after? It was, it was after. after. Okay, so it was after. Yeah. That changes it slightly in the sense that when you see the anti-Semitic things that he says, it's kind of baffling. Because he's all of a sudden, he's like talking about Zionist fucking Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm like, what the fuck is he talking about? Yeah. That might require an entirely different episode. <laughs> and I would have kept it in personally. I'm pretty sure Ray J is, uh, <laughs> he, he's, yeah. key, he's keynoting yeah. APEC. Yeah. yeah, Rabbi J. Yeah, I know all about him. Yeah, Ray they, J, they take got, many guys. a raw deal, it seems. Even, yeah. even Kanye endorses Ray J's account of what happened with the tape, which is interesting. But the Killer Mike thing is actually correct. And, um, he is weeping at the beginning of this. She's still going wow. after saying, this man. Say, no, 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 but I'm just, I'm just trying to get understand. me in trouble. That's but, the only but, thing but, but, I'm like, actually. I kind of like what Kanye said about Trevor Noah, though. Did you catch that one? He goes, "What do you say?" And then Trevor Noah, who's not even from America. Yeah, that's that's how you build the wall. He's he's taking our jobs. He doesn't. It's true. He doesn't do many favors when he talks about this stuff. Davidson. Where do you end with this stuff? In the sense that if somebody gives a weepy 
kind of, uh, it has a weepy interaction with uh, Minister are, are you, Farrakhan. You just mentioned W.E.B. Du Bois and Stalin I, I already. Will. I mean, um, yeah. building up to and, and you're having this weepy kind of interaction and saying, you meant so much to me, you changed my life, I'm overwhelmed, I can't, and like he can't, people come up and hug him because he can't talk to Louis Farrakhan because he's right. so overwhelming. Louis Farrakhan, it's not a mist. it's not like a kind of a, on the edge, we don't really know what to think about him. Yeah. He's like legitimately anti-Semitic <laughs> and like, these people are like, you know, Basilon, we have to destroy them. And it's like literally Nazi type shit. Do I mean, you the entire hip hop industry would be well, eviscerated? Well, that's yeah. my course, question. At what point do you say the interactions that people have with somebody who is so foul? Because what Adidas and what all these people want, they don't want to have an interaction with a person <laughs> who has these views. Mm -hmm. But all these other people who are having interactions with people that have these views. Do you then go down the chain and start saying, I'm saying, I'm not saying that this is what you should do. I'm saying that you open up this kind of can of worms here, particularly yeah. when the, the, the Spotify thing that, yeah, Daniel X said the right things and is doing the right things. Things. But there's enough people and enough pressure saying, well, we had the Joe Rogan campaign and the whole fucking media was on our side. Mm -hmm. Why should we not do this with music that actually isn't explicitly anti-Semitic, but is made by somebody who we think is I got to tell you, as somebody who recently bought an ad-free Spotify uh, subscription after years, and then Neil Young, who I love, you know, pulled his music, and I really wish that he had pulled the rest of Crosby, Stills, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, I never particularly cared for them, but when you go there and it's like all the Neil Young songs are missing. Yeah. They suck so bad. Yeah. yeah. It is like, it's <laughs> stunning. Like Neil Young, like you, Camille, carrying the fifth column. He was carrying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But difficult work. I, you know, the, so can I ask uh, at least two of you identify or have identified both as racist, obviously, but also <laughs> as libertarian? <laughs> is this a market failure? If, you know, like all of the big contracts and mm. stuff like that, they're like, you know what, Kanye, whether or not we believe that you're anti-Semitic or you're untalented or whatever, but like you've made yourself toxic. So we're backing away. Is that I, I agree with you, Camille, that it's it's disturbing when you see people immediately decide, OK, this person is cast into the furnace mm -hmm. and that's that's the end of it. Oftentimes, you know, it turns out that, you know, the, the situation isn't even clear. But like, yeah. I don't know, is that. You know, how, how do you how do you factor that into a kind of like libertarian reading of economics or cultural commerce? Well, I certainly think it complicates cultural commerce. There, there are kind of two things with respect to the, the business, in, the involvement of business and whatever market failure might be happening there. I mean, one is just these contracts that have morals clauses that can allow someone to yeah. perhaps exit an agreement. Um, on account of the things that you've said publicly, I mean, one, you just probably don't want to have those. If you're a controversial rapper who mm -hmm. is yeah. known for saying things like, tell PETA my mink is dragging on the floor, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's the first issue. But the second, though, is is related to just the tech platforms themselves, because yeah. the beginning of the cancellation, so to speak, and this is not a traditional cancellation right. in any way, shape, or form. This is Kanye bringing this on himself, um, like Solomon bringing down the temple here. Mm. Uh, just biblical references. This is a, it's a Christian podcast. Well, Solomon's one of your people. It's a Christian podcast. <laughs> exactly. The real Jews. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. <laughs> um, but the, the social media companies, Instagram, Twitter, like yeah. just take his account down. Right. And there are real questions about the kind of power of these institutions and the broader kind of cultural milieu with respect to cancellations. Are there legal protections and safeguards that ought to be put in place to make people's lives better? Should conservatives take over institutions so that they can be responsible and ensure that they're getting equal time on the platforms? And I mean, these are hard questions to answer. I, I think that ultimately the only real protection and safeguard here is probably for us to develop 
the cultural antibodies to be able to use to operate in these in these newly digitized spaces where people do have this this power to disappear. I'm you curious, like, you do you know is like our David Allen Coe, the country music guy, who has a bunch of oh my racist God, no. records? Yes, are those on Spotify? I, don't think so. or? I mean, I mean, at the time that that record oh, came yeah, out, yeah, David yeah, Allen yeah. Coe wouldn't even are. release that publicly. Oh, I mean, right. that was like a private <laughs> sale thing. Uh, the legal, legal. David Allen <laughs> was a um, country singer who the, released he made bespoke yeah, racist. Like, he made a racist record. Really, some bad stuff, right? Really, like for fun. Why would he do? He's like actually racist. I guess. Well, he thought it was know, funny. Give and the they, people, okay. give the people what they want. Yeah, I don't they, know. They, I think it was it's never publicly released. Oh, yeah, it was never it's publicly released. But yeah. so it's just for friends. You know, the, or for himself. <laughs> the problem with this stuff, and maybe the Kanye thing will kind of sharpen the debate about this. But you have so many people in the Sorab um, Amari world mm. who say, well, because this is happening, and because you know that you just mentioned Curtis Yarv and the left yeah, control these institutions, yeah. we have to. I mean, Steve Bannon said to me that we need to um, uh, arrest the uh, CEO of Twitter and then like make the endowments uh, of yeah, the universe. Well, make them a public utility. That's, yeah. He made that very yeah, clear yeah. and he said it over and over again. And nonsense. this is the thing that these guys believe rather than, I think, what the normal libertarian argument to this would be is that what did Kanye do? He bought Parler. Perfect. Right. That's what you should do. Mm -hmm. You're rich. Yeah, Buy right. another platform and try to make it good. I'm You're skeptical not... of that particular yeah, transaction. Look, it's a it's bad like transaction. Candace, Candace Owens' husband owns Parler. Exactly. Sells it to him. I, I think Stacey Abrams' uh, campaign. <laughs> Managers involved with this and so on. But this is like she's the lawyer. She did all the paperwork. This 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 kind of idea that we need to also get Jewish. the government involved. I don't know. But li true. libertarian kind of ideology, in, in particularly when it comes to like sort of economic issues, you go back to the kind of you know the, the real people on the Mount Rushmore of libertarian economics. None of that stuff has been updated for the culture that we live in now. And it's not true. only is that am I talking about tech stuff, but talking about a kind of cultural of fear. A culture, mm. a culture yes. of fear. Because like market failures, this is not exactly a traditional market right. failure. No. These are people that are making moves. And Kanye is one that you can kind of understand, right? Because he's been going super far. But this is not, you mentioned Reply All. This is a controversy in which nobody involved knew what the controversy was. It's so crazy. And yeah. they, they, they said, we need to get rid of these people and essentially ruin this guy's life because they were fearful. Not because they thought this was the right thing to do. Not because this man had to be punished because nobody could really figure out what Although that was. Although we don't know that, right? I mean... Uh, but this happens a yeah. lot, though, yeah, right? Yeah. This, I mean, why after, you know, the George Floyd stuff do you have every brand on the planet, you know, having ads about, you know, the racial reckoning every time you went onto Amazon, yeah, there was Uber, a political message. That Uber from, ad was so weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you remember that? It was like you were coming across um, the Brooklyn Bridge, or maybe it was the Manhattan Bridge, and the sign was like, if you yes, don't if, hate racism, delete our ad. Yeah, get out of the That's car hilarious. right in the middle of the bridge and <laughs> <laughs> dive into the East River. It's like, actually, right. I've had conversations with Uber, with Uber drivers where like they're from a sect or they're, they're from like a Christian sect in the Middle East and yeah. they're like they say something like awful about yes. Muslims in yes. their country just like horribly racist but they're really nice people I always find it interesting I always find it interesting do you remember the yeah. Danny Glover thing it was like 2000 before now it was like 1999-2000 where he staged a protest in front of the TLC 
the taxi yep. commission, saying that, oh, you know, I, I thought can't... you were talking about TLC. Yeah, he, yeah, can't, yeah. Yeah. he was like, I've been chasing waterfalls <laughs> and I can't find them. Do you guys so... do shout-outs yeah. to the fallen members yeah, of TLC? To T-Boss? Shout-out Lisa T-Boss is alive. Oh, Left Eye. Left Eye. The one that burned down Andre Risen's house. Yeah. He deserves so much more. But that was... Really? The thing that no one ever mentioned in that kind of thing, because that got a lot of play at the time, was this was actually... We were we were It was actually Ted Danson. Blackface, <laughs> <laughs> which was fine at the time. Yeah. Totally, totally fine. fine. Whoopi was fine with this. Yeah, yeah. The governor of Benson Virginia was fine with the it. The governor of Virginia was walking around in a hood. I mean, it's like it was just a different world. George Went was fine with a better America, damn it. But there was a thing that no one decided to point out at that uh, yeah. point that there were no white cab drivers left in New York. Oh, yeah. In that the racism huh. that you were getting from cab drivers, and I remember one time I got a yellow cab driver, a yellow cab guy. Wow, you wait, was, you just slurred oh, Asian Americans, didn't you? N- you no, know, I had a yellow I, cab driver. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. Oh, we don't say that anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. A Filipino American. No, we cab don't driver? say yellow anymore. We say black and white, which yeah. is black so much yeah, more. So much more. You had a white adjacent cab. You had a driver of a yellow cab. It's a person of color. I, I had a cab driver that, and this has happened multiple times, by the way, who was uh, not American, not white, who went on a long jag about recently being robbed in, in uh, I think, the Bronx. And went on this whole thing about, like, I just don't, I, if I can not pick up black people, I will not pick up black people. Mm-hmm. And this was said in an accent that was very hard to decipher, but I think it was racist. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what, how, do, how do we categorize this? Do you think he was just working you, you for, a, for an extra tip or something? <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite cab story, this guy was, like, Eastern European or something. And I pick him up, and he's, like, maybe 55 years old, and I go... He picked you up. You weren't driving a cab at the time, were you? Yeah, I was at no. You're right. He picked me up. I had a Fetterman moment. Okay. So yeah. we get to talking and he he has his you know how like some cab drivers they'll have this sage like they want to drop little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. And like maybe you're drunk yeah. and kind of in the mood for it. You're like, oh, yes. that's a kind of a nice little New York moment. So we had one of those conversations. And then so then I ask him, What's the what's the thing that's changed the most ever since you were a cab driver? You've been a cab driver like thirty five years. And he goes, without skipping a beat. I picked you up. He really said that? Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Wow. I, That's cool. I've met. I've met. Did, he, did he want a medal for that? That was amazing. Oh, we both yeah. laughed. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've talked to, to cab drivers before about the like not stopping for black people thing. But this was back in the day when I actually used to take cabs occasionally before Uber. And if you want to talk about by the market solving a problem, yeah, yeah. Uber, no, Uber solved Uber, that Totally, issue. totally. Yeah. Yeah. Unless despite, you use your actual image the, on the avatar. Despite the fake founder being kind of a scumbag. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, this gets into that question of like Uber... You know, some of the, the personal lives of some of the founders are not, like, super great. But, like, Travis? the service that they created is, like, fucking awesome. And in New York, it, it totally fixed the problem with the boroughs where, yes. you know. You couldn't get a cab home at night. Yeah, ever, but, ever. but it was it was the African guys who would always talk to me about, like, not stopping for black people. Right. Yes, mm. like, routinely. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, that's, I, I that is that a comment. racism that is, uh, dare never speak its name, that I have seen. Um, up close with one particular friend I mean, of mine who's from Ghana, and I'm just like, man, yeah, that is really that is you're like the heard, Ghanese I've, David Allen Coe. I've heard some things from my Jamaican family. I we do not, not like your people. That. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's true. I don't really like them. Not, Woman, Woman King, King, not a King? huge movie. <laughs> I saw it. I thought it was not bad. You liked it? Yeah, completely lied about the slave trade. Of yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah, like as a movie, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, apart from that, I mean, did people did people applaud it? Are you are you drinking a lot of soy these days, Coleman? I don't know that they. 
wonder. Applaud, what what applaud. theater did you go to? No, I, I don't drink it. I just put it right in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You what was the composition of the theater? I didn't notice. Okay. Because I, I went to I went to a theater that was close enough to an urban area that uh-huh. there were like families that came. Like uh-huh. They were making the pilgrimage. Yes. Like week two of the of the release, like yes. back in the Black Panther days. Right. Mm. And. At the end of the movie, in fact, it was enough that someone behind me was like, is this based on true events? And I said, no. <laughs> I didn't turn around. I said, no. Um, and at the end of, fi- of the film, like, there was applause. Yeah. Like, earnest applause. Like, finally, our truth has been told. Mm. So true. Because, like, the Dahomey, it's not just like they traded slaves a little bit. Oh, they back. were like, no, no they yeah. were the yes. worst yeah. intentional slave trade. You know how we're pla- praising Uber? <laughs> they were praising that like this is the yeah. best slave trading so good at yeah. slave trading they have an app yeah. Yeah. Good, at, good at slave trading good at murdering yeah. like yeah. neighboring tribes and taking all the guys and selling them into slavery the ones yeah. the ones that they didn't as, as one did use for human then. sacrifice um, there's a there's a video what's her name um, from 12 years a slave I don't remember her name Not Lupita oh, Lupita yeah. yes mm. yeah. she did a thing for the BBC which appears to have happened like after Black Panther and before Woman King which apparently she was attached to she was at and some then point wasn't. and then just sort of mysteriously was yeah. no longer associated but she goes to visit this place because in yeah. Black Panther yeah, yeah. obviously the same female warriors kind of inspired that storyline right. um, which was written by Stan Lee and you should google him to see who he is to, <laughs> wow. to understand so called member of the tribe you no know, right. you know um but she discovered like these truths about the Dahomey yeah. and saw like the actual is that why she pulled out of the movie I, is that... I, don't I heard know. someone say it's that it's not clear yeah but at a minimum, she like if the she end did, of the episode. I she's her weeping a lot for that. Like she's weeping as yeah. she's talking to a she's woman. She's weeping who is like a Killer Mike. In no, the no, no. She's weeping. The, she's weeping the other way. She's okay. talking to a the woman who had been her guide yeah. throughout Africa. That's uh, not throughout Africa, yeah. but in this region. Um, it turns out her mother, um, yeah, her family had been kidnapped and brought to Benin, wow. and. She told this story, this like heartbreaking story. She's singing yep. this old song from her tribe and weeping. And the daughter who'd been giving the tour is weeping. And then um, Lapita mm-hmm. starts yeah. weeping yeah. too. She's, I, I like her. She's she went to Hampshire College. Did she? Yeah, she did. A funny yeah, story. Yeah, I, I, you know, all uh, pass fail classes, no grades at Hampshire. No grades. Yeah, no, that was I did one a story of its on and uh, interviewed Ken Burns for that story. <laughs> he was there my dad, um, <laughs> He was my, the second class. My dad uh, married a Ghanaian woman uh, about a year ago, and they, they went to Ghana and um, recently, mm. and she is connected to a major tribe there. I, I can't remember which one it is. And they met with the current king of the, like they had dinner with the current king mm. of, of this particular tribe. And throughout the course of the meal, they started talking about this question of slavery. And my, my dad is a black American descended from slaves here. And this king apologized to my dad Oh, did he? Yeah, wow. he like he says apologized for my man. I've been trying to extract that from my African friends forever. <laughs> but then he said, right, right after he said, he said like, I'm basically the apology was like, I'm I'm sorry for the role we played in the in the slave trade and slave, slave wow. of your people, but you know it's 2022 and we all have to get over it. And, and also, shit kind of worked out well. <laughs> yeah, for that's you. easy. Like, you do it, <laughs> yeah. you do I. I mean, you what you want to yeah, be yeah. here with us? Yeah, yeah you're still paying for this meal. Uh, this <laughs> is somewhat adjacent, but I'm reading a fantastic book that has not gotten any press by David Hackett Fisher, who's a very well-known historian. He's best known for a book called Albion Seed, which is about yeah. how 
the different regions in Great Britain that settled the U.S., like their cultural mm-hmm. kind of life lingers on in those regions. Mm-hmm. But it's called African Founders, and the subtitle is How Enslaved People Expanded American Ideals. Hmm. It, you know, it starts from the first slaves showing up to about uh, just before the Civil War, mm-hmm. and it is this incredibly rich tapestry of the experience of slavery and being black, it, like African-American, including being freed in different parts of the country. And, you know, things were very different in New England and the mid-Atlantic states and parts of the South and the mm-hmm, deep mm-hmm, South. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you know, it seems kind of like it was inspired partly by the 1619 Project in the sense of like, let's do a thick history of what it meant to be black in America. And it's unbelievable. And it, it, I mean, I had encountered some of this stuff in college years ago where there was a, a in, starting in the 60s and 70s, there was an appreciation for the daily life of slaves. And there were a lot of people who started looking at it kind of in light of uh, concentration camps and other totalizing systems. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also uh, some new historians were talking about the slave economy as being kind of like a labor market where certain people held out for more if they mm-hmm. were productive, et cetera. But Hackett Fisher's, works. Habit, yeah. Hackett Fisher's book is so fascinating. And this is exactly the kind of history. Like if we were if we were talking about this kind of history where it's just rich, interesting, varied, and yeah. it doesn't pull any punches because he keeps talking about how we know how you know that slavery was uh, enforced through brutalization of bodies. And we know this from cemeteries and like the the skeletons of slaves, because they all bear either like the marks of heavy labor or actual mm-hmm, physical mm-hmm. violence and things like that. But it's so fascinating. And I, th- I think we would be having such a much richer and deeper and more interesting cultural conversation about Kanye West, about everything. Yeah. You know, if this kind of history was like front and center instead of, you know, the kind of punch and Judy stuff. That the the, 16, the problem with the 1619 stuff is not that we're kind of surfacing history that hasn't been yeah. recently resurfaced or been forgotten about. I mean, that's always... A good yeah. ideal, right? The problem is that when you have people who are explicitly saying that we're going to cast history to change the present, yeah, um, not to inform the present, right, but right. to, in, to yeah, change yeah, yeah. the present. And where you see that mostly, as you see that a lot with um, um, slavery and, and particularly with uh, the 1619 Project, but often with uh, Native American history. This is yeah, a thing yeah, that's yeah. happening more and more now in which the so you're nuances... you're talking about like Shashin Littlefeather. Yeah, right? yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yes. I saw that. Yes. Shocker. You know, Shocker it's, it's amazing. Everyone said, you know, I can't stand it. Everyone's asking me, where are you really from? It's like, did anyone ever ask her that? <laughs> I decided to do that after she died. But um, but no, I mean, you see these uh, books that come out yeah. and you go back to a lot of these. And I have been doing this recently is reading a bunch of, uh, of books about native history, mm. particularly like, you know, in in the 1700s, 1800s. And it's really fascinating because the tribes are so disparate. Right. They have completely different ideologies. They have completely different ways of war. They have completely different ways of themselves taking slaves, et cetera. And what it is being papered over is it's not like when we talk about the 1619 Project, it's like we need to enrich our knowledge of the past. We're actually collapsing our knowledge of the mm. past when it comes yeah. to this stuff because it, you know, we say now that there was a genocide. There's literally no one says anything else. You wouldn't bat an eye if somebody says that. And you know, there has been a pretty significant debate about what qualifies as genocide? Was this right. deliberate? Which parts were deliberate and which parts weren't? And that stuff is now being totally lost. And the reason I was mentioning before the the Rachel Maddow thing is that is one of the most 
politicized versions of recent history that I've seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. And what you notice with this, and particularly also with the Ken Burns thing, and I've mentioned this in the show uh, recently, is the language that is used is the language of the present. So Mm -hmm. so I I mentioned this, and I'm sorry for listeners who have heard this before. The first episode of the Ken Burns documentary. The U.S. and the Holocaust. The U.S. and the Holocaust documentary, um, which I'm writing something on now, and I've been in contact with him. We're going back and forth about a couple things. And I like Ken Burns a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of respect for him. And I know you've interviewed him, Nick, a bunch of times. But there was an, an amazing thing. They were talking about eugenics. And at the beginning, it says, you know, somebody, so-and-so, you know, maybe uh, Houston Stewart Chamberlain or something, mm. said this about the skull shapes without evidence. Mm. And that's the language <laughs> of, you know, Donald Trump. Yeah, 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 yeah. And if you try to do that when you're talking about Nazis, you're saying without evidence about everything. Mm-hmm. And you have to presume that the, <laughs> the, the listeners will understand that race science you're is you're mad gone. because you have that whole collection of skulls? I, I do, yeah. and they don't tell me much, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. <laughs> and then when you have the Rachel Maddow thing, it's all that they're yeah. talking about, yes. you know, the Christian yeah, yeah. front and the, yes, the yeah. fascism that was a very small kind of part of, of American culture in the 1930s, 1938, 39, 40, which of course is now being collapsed into America First. Right. It's all the same thing and it's actually not. But it is this thing of everything is, they put out this disinformation. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. all using this language of cable news with history, <laughs> trying to yeah. com- like and, and history with well, today. Rachel Maddow has a PhD. She's a serious- I don't know in what. She, uh, I think it's history, actually. <laughs> it's, or, I mean, or it's not showing side. in this documentary at all. Um, this, this, have you read Tomorrow the World, Stephen Wertheimer's- uh, um, book-length study of the America First, or not of the America First movement, they figure large in it, but yeah. how isolationism became a term and who coined it, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And it's fantastic because, again, it's a really rich history. And that's for the first time where I learned about America First being yeah. this ecumenical, ideological movement. It, it and was, obviously it was, it was Democrats, Republicans. Yeah, you know, was, progressive yeah. socialists yeah. and, you know, hardcore right-wing racists, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it was the whole you know, whole banana. Why, why'd you look at me when you uh, said Well, it's funny because... Uh, because you are a hardcore <laughs> racist. <laughs> it's funny because one of the, the, the... It's never mentioned. It's really interesting. Yeah. Two things that are never mentioned in Maddow's thing, which I think is, again, it's about today. It's about right now. Yeah. Is the name of Father Coughlin's magazine, mm-hmm. which was Social Justice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> name yeah. of the magazine. Yeah. Mysteriously, they talk about, but don't, don't mention it. And they talk about Ernest Lundin, a... a, um, a uh, member of Congress, I'll just put it this way, member of Congress from Minnesota, but they don't mention the fact that he was not, he was at one point a Republican, and then he was, he was yeah. when he died and when he was involved in this, he was a farmer Labor Party guy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's members of the farmer Labor Party, there's members and of the, the Democratic so Party. It's so much more interesting. It's much more interesting. You know, yeah. It does not work the, in the worldview that you're trying to say, this overlays yeah. perfectly to January 6th, and say, yeah. well, no, I mean... Which uh, is obviously worse than anything. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> yeah. worse than anything yeah. that ever happened. Yeah. But, you know, they're talking a lot about Peter Virick's father, who yeah. was in prison during the war as a Nazi collaborator. But all of these guys also opposed the First World War. Right. I mean, they ended up being Nazis, but there was an ideology that they had that in 1917 and 1918 was still existed in yeah. 1938, 39, and 40. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is all stripped away right. because it makes it fit in the January 6th narrative, in the cable news narrative, in a much easier yeah. way. Which is really bad, too, because I, I like the U.S. and the Holocaust, and I did interview uh, Ken Burns and Lynn uh, Novick about it. And one thing that I liked about it was that it I thought it showed really clearly why, like, America, a lot of people felt burned by getting into World War One. Yes. 
And then also the anti-immigrant sentiments just never shifted. And I think about, you know, you were, when we were talking about the 1619 Project, I love revisionist history or like attempts to come up with a new way of framing stuff. And one of the outcomes of that, I was like, I started thinking about the 1916 Project because all of my grandparents came over right around 1916. And they're like, my understanding of America is rooted in, you know, it's like 100 years old, maybe. And, And it's very different than if you come over on the Mayflower or if you come over, you know, on a slave ship or something yeah. like and that. And look, they do a good job in certain places. I thought they weren't going yeah. to because it went. It took a while to get there of talking about why there was an anti-immigrant fervor around the time of the Depression. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. All the, if you yeah. go back, and I've been going back and reading yeah. all this, uh, these congressional records, and it's all this stuff is about jobs. Yeah. Every conversation yeah. is about jobs. What is interesting is that the anti-immigrant sentiments really kicked into high gear. In the mid-20s. Yeah, and when yeah. the economy was booming, it was booming yeah. but it was also changed i mean yeah. and um uh, have you read uh, dan okrent's the guarded gate uh, uh yes i've just started phenomenal that yeah, yeah. He's phenomenal uh, yeah uh, the other i was just going to say a fixture about, in all ken burned yeah different. no it's true it's from true. the baseball yeah, yeah, one on yeah, yeah. yeah. um but i was going to say you know the right that. also does this kind of recasting of history and the first time i encountered this and i guess i was in college and then moving in you know i i, I went to college worked at teen magazines and then ended up at reason you know go figure <laughs> out uh, it's, it's the usual natural progression. Yeah. Usually the there's arc. a piano playing in the background when the I tell the story. Toward reason. Yeah. <laughs> or away from Teen Machine. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, when I started encountering, like, and it was Bill Bennett and other people, conservatives in the 80s were talking about how, you know, the 60s were obviously the nightmare decade that destroyed America and gave us all the depredations that were finally solved when Reagan was elected. But they, w- they went, they didn't just stop with that. They were like, the 1950s was the greatest, most pleasant, docile, placid decade in history. And I was like, oh, I guess so. And then I started reading Unless literature of the 50s. <laughs> no, or you're yeah. a beat, yeah. or you are, a, you know, yeah, gay or, gay or lesbian, or, yeah, yeah, or you, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, and, or you are worried about nuclear holocaust, or you are, like, illiterate. I mean, yeah. like, and the, the 50s actually is this incredibly rich, vibrant decade that has nothing to do with, like, Eisenhower grayness sure. and conformity. It's like when America got weird, partly, I think, because it got rich after World War II. But that was, I started becoming really suspicious of any kind of politicized history because the, the conservative vision of the 50s is just flat out bullshit. Like it, it misses everything that was actually happening in Col- the 50s. Coleman, when you're writing this book about race, I mean, so much of this, and when you talk about this stuff, and so much of it has to do with history. I mean, there's really no conversation that you can have. If you talk about the CRT debates, you're talking about history. If you talk about yep. reparations, obviously you're talking about history. Mm-hmm. I mean, you went before Congress for this very reason, you're talking about history. Yeah. The whole thing is a conversation about how we view American history. When you go back and you're you know, writing a book about race, are there things that you say, our conception of the history of race in America, which obviously has to be simplified, and so we do have a simple kind of idea, slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights movement. Jim Eagle. T- t- Jim Eagle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Stacey Abrams yeah. today. Just yeah. taking on a different meaning um, now. I think it's going to be Zach Braff next. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, obviously that simplification has to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it when you look at that and you're writing about this? Do you say this is a thing that we just get Totally wrong. So I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Um, so one thing we get very wrong is the origin of this concept, colorblindness. Right? So if you read Kimberly Crenshaw and the critical race theorists, you are going to get a history 
told this way. Basically, the civil rights movement happened. A lot of conservatives and reactionaries weren't so happy with it. And they started, they, they came up with this rhetoric of colorblindness, this idea that Martin Luther King can be reduced to one sentence about the content of our character mm-hmm. and the color of our skin. And... Um, you know, it's a sort of Lee Atwater thing, right? I mean, yeah. used to be able to say this, and now we we say colorblindness. That's right. To, yeah. So that's the narrative of where colorblindness comes from, and why you know, if you Google colorblindness, comma race, so that you don't get a bunch of articles about like people who can't <laughs> see right. <laughs> <me. laughs> but I encourage everyone listening, like, run this experiment and Google colorblindness race. When I do it, I get literally nine out of 10 articles saying why colorblindness is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one was a Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. which doesn't make it much better. So one thing I, I was always curious to look into was what really is the origin of colorblindness. And, and what I found researching it was that the earliest reference I can references to the word and the concept came from Wendell Phillips, hmm. who was the president of the um, American Anti-Slavery Society after William Lloyd Garrison and was, in fact, more radical than William Lloyd Garrison because Garrison thought that once slavery was over, the mission was accomplished, basically. And Wendell Phillips said, no, actually, we want slavery is just one case, the worst case of a race-based policy, but the goal of the anti-slavery movement is a colorblind government. And he used that wow. exact phrase in many of his speeches in the 1860s. And that's the first reference you find to that's it. The oldest, that's the oldest time I've ever read a public figure say the word colorblindness. So he was just seeing ahead 100 years, like, how do I maintain my white privilege? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's it forward. Yeah. That's amazing. And at his funeral in the 1880s, America's first black judge... George Ruffin, I think was his name, described Wendell Phillips as as um, one of the few Americans that was that was quote colorblind. Wow! So, so what was the prescription for getting to this colorblind government? So, I mean, is it similar yeah. to the way that people talk about? It was white similar to Kanye's uh, prescription. <laughs> I don't so, know that Kanye has a prescription for that. He's yeah. very interested in race, actually. Yeah. So well, part of his problem. Yeah, Wendell Phillips was one of the first probably the first major public figure to propose that we we needed a 13th and a 14th amendment 13th amendment banning slavery and uh, his his proposal for the 14th amendment he printed the text every day in the um in in the, the newspaper controlled by the ASA for 9 months of the text he wanted to be the 14th amendment which was the government cannot make any distinctions based upon race mm-hmm. basically so, so it wasn't trying to rectify so much as establish a new norm Correct. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah, and- I don't think people really understand, and I sent you a couple things, Camille, recently. Um, I, I can't remember what database I kind of found myself in, and um, there was it, it was it was very <laughs> offensive. But I ended up getting to all these anti-slavery newspapers for, that were just in full PDF form. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. the most fascinating things. I mean, yeah. you, it's not like if you see something in black and white on the New York Times website and it's yeah. clipped out – when you see it actually in the full paper, because you see, every, you know, it's there's no images, all columns, yeah. particularly the Liberator, mm-hmm. all columns across, and it's about four pages, right? And you read through these things, and I don't think people realize how unbelievably radical these people were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it totally. wasn't just like, you know, we got to treat people better. It was like fire breathing. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as biological differences in race. Mm-hmm. This is all a construction. We actually created this these people by, you know, bringing them from Africa and keeping them in subjugation, not allowing them to, to learn, read, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's not, 
there's nothing soft about it. Yeah. I think if you read it today, I don't think people realize that when you see people like William Lloyd Garrison and all the other writers that liberated, and there were so many anti-slavery newspapers in America at the time, mm -hmm. like just how fire breathing they were in that it was not like, I mean, this is, th these were not fringe figures either. Mm -hmm. They were fringe in a certain way, but they, yeah. were, they were making waves and actually people were responding to them in 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 congress i mean this yeah. is not something that was just like a couple of guys did oh, yeah, you totally. um did you also look at pro-slavery because i mean it's really fascinating the shift yes. from the southerner you know, i think yeah is the paper, idea yeah. that uh slavery you know it's an inheritance and you know it's terrible sure but we really can't do anything about it to so the affirmative that case good, for slavery yeah. and mm -hmm. racial hierarchy mm -hmm. um george dawes green the guy who co-founded or he founded the moth and he's a novelist and he has a new book out called kingdoms of savannah that touches on this, and he's semi-obsessed with a 19th century group of people in the South called the Fire Eaters, who made the affirmative case for slavery and racial hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a fascinating history like on the on the on the basis of its benevolence. Uh, no, not on its benevolence. That it is biologically right, theologically right, et cetera. They were not being nice to people. They were mm -hmm. like, this is the order of the world, and mm -hmm. if we don't maintain this, everything disappears. It's um, you know, some of the hmm. rhetoric actually reminds me of some of the conversations about trans stuff or, you know, and, and in the in the 70s and 80s and even in the 90s <laughs> remind you about, about homosexuality. No, like that. These <laughs> are there is some kind of biological evolutionary truth, even mm -hmm. if we don't believe in evolution, mm -hmm. that this is a this is a natural distinction. Right. And if we allow this to be muddied or crossed or in any way kind of nipped at then everything goes to hell, like civilization ceases to end. And, you know, and I'm not, I, you know, I suspect that we have disagreements on some parts of trans uh, ideology and stuff like that. I'm just saying that's where you see the similar kind of thing like this. This is the, the Maginot line. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if we cross this, it's all over. The, and the, that's what they were talking about in the 19th century. And the I, thing for people who want to, it is actually on uh, Chronicling America, .loc.gov, the Library of Congress, mm. and like this, I was just looking for the Southern. Hey, you know, why are you and using a status website? Oh, awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, this is a status, website, a very good know, status website. Yeah. And like the Southerner, like this is an, an issue from 1852. It's actually your homepage. It is my homepage. <laughs> um, I'm actually doing a new edition of the Southerner. Um, same typefaces, uh, different editorial staff. It's just like the Boston um, Globe with the Emancipator. With the Emancipator. Yeah, this yeah. is, yeah, we're, we're doing our own version now. Yeah. But the thing it's that, about time. I actually was um, <laughs> looking. What was the Daily Wire saying in 1860? Uh, <laughs> very ahead of the curve on the trans stuff. Um, what were the Lockhorns? Were the Lockhorns still going at it? You know, they just couldn't get along. That's the thing I was thinking about the other day, I sent something because of this thing I'm doing with Ken Burns. There's a whole bit about Nazis. Are you beginning. stalking Ken I Burns? I am. It's I am. He's been a little bit. He's been. He's been ignoring me. You know. You know this guy. He's a he's dog a, with a bone. He's yeah. a Napoleon of crime. Yes. <laughs> but if if you look, I sent something to someone because I translated something. Right. I translated from, from English from English to uh, John Fetterman. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> sorry, that was mean. Poor John Fetterman. I feel bad for him. No, it is, um, that was just gratuitous. But, no, but it's I, temporary. I, he'll yeah. only get it. It is after the election, temporary. too, like what he lost, and then it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God. I just and he'll be that. fine. As soon as the election is over, yeah, he'll be fine. perfectly yeah, fine. Yeah, he's going to be the JFK. Beautiful speeches. <laughs> I'm going to be his Ted Sorensen. Um, I sent something that I translated something from German, and, I, and it's like yeah. very 1920s German, and I sent it to a friend in Austria. Mm. And I said, I need your help. This per per person <laughs> speaks perfect English. And the response was, am I allowed to have this? I'm not joking. Because uh, it was a PDF where it was 10 pages from Mein Kampf, 
which is illegal. Yeah. And wow. she, she was like, can I, am I allowed to have this? And I said, I believe for academic purposes, if you're not David Irving or something, you can have this. And I started thinking about all these old things. Is like, it still illegal? Uh, yes. They, the, the, what happened was that the copyright was turned over to the government of Munich, not to the, the, the state of the Bundesland. The, uh, mm -hmm. And so what they did was they withheld the copyright and you couldn't yeah. publish it, making it effectively illegal. Isn't Dr. Seuss Enterprises is going to bring <laughs> yes, it out? Yeah, Theodore Geisel Incorporated. It's amazing is how successful that was because there are no more Nazis anywhere And in you Germany. cannot get it in PDF <laughs> book is in like a thousand different versions. Yeah. They did publish a version uh, with um, academic commentary. That's the first uh, version oh, they've published yeah, yeah. since like 1945. But I was thinking about this well, too they say without evidence after everything. In German it sounds much better. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking about this stuff is that, you know, when YouTube and you know, we have to get Kanye off this, we have to get this, we have to get, you know, Alex yeah. Jones, et cetera. You know, they take David Irving's speeches off where he denies the Holocaust, et cetera. The nasty stuff that you want to find, like, where is the yeah. line? Is there an academic line in the sense yeah. that there, this on the Library of Congress is a deeply racist newspaper from 1850, I'm sure it says incredibly terrible things about black people, mm. and it's available to me. You might it, get it banned now, though. But, well, that's the thing. I actually did this one time <laughs> yeah. uh, during um, the Charlie Hebdo thing. When I, I tweeted, like, I you, remember. Know, you, yeah. you can still get, they took the Charlie oh. Hebdo picture off of the, the wire, and I said, you can still get Piss Christ. And about six hours later, they took Piss Christ off. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> that's the wrong That's response. not what I'm saying. I'm saying yeah. they both should be there. They were like, keep talking. We're ready to What else do you, gotta, what <laughs> what else <laughs> you need us to get rid of? Do you of think set? those activists who are gluing themselves to stuff, will they glue themselves to Piss Christ? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or what do, you, what do you throw on it? You know, flour? I don't know. But is it only video? Right? Is it only things on YouTube? Like, do you ban like the Germans did? Do you yeah, ban Nazi? Right? Yeah. You know, you can't get any of that stuff. If you want to buy something, like on a like a eBay or something, yeah. and it comes from Germany, and there's a picture of Hitler and not, they they have to blur Which, the whole thing. Uh, yeah, and you only were doing that for academic reasons. No, I'm a Nazi actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to when I say neo, I'm trying yeah. to put a new <laughs> emphasis not on anti-Semitism, <laughs> on just the positive things like the autobahn. Oh, yeah. and, but no, like that, th there is a weird thing that we expect a certain kind yeah. of um, you know corporations and and you know Google etc. to eliminate search results. Are there that any... are racially hostile, yeah. but we need those things to actually write about them, yeah. to see, you know, where this stuff comes from. Are there any places that are really holding the line on this kind of stuff? I mean, Spotify does it somewhat. Yes. And I thought their response to the Rogan, uh, or really the Neil Young thing, yes. was pretty good. Substack seems to be very much Archive.org. Archive.org. Absolutely. I actually give money to them. They're, yeah, they're amazing. And, yeah. like, I have been trying to reference, like, old books from the 1950s, they have them scanned on yeah. open library that you yeah. can, you know, wow. take them out for an hour. You don't have to go to the thing. But you can also find, Song you know, newspapers. Remastered. Uh, Song yeah. of the South is on it. Like Der Sturmer. You can find yeah. every issue of Der Sturmer in PDF on archive.org. And I could imagine someone saying, this stuff is really, I mean, that is like a level of hatefulness oh, yeah, yeah. that has never been matched. And it's still there. And if someone said, take that off, that would be impoverishing the culture in a way. Right. But they think it, it's impoverishing it by its existence because people just look at this stuff and therefore change their minds. But that is something that I don't think people talk enough about of where that line is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to get Alex Jones off because he's saying lies about 
the you know the, the election the okay. crisis act the, the people this is we're gonna have to write books about alex jones and all this stuff will have been deleted where does it end up yeah. and is there a place am i gonna have to have a special card that says well i'm an academic and i'm not somebody who's gonna fall for the crisis actor thing so i should want be able to watch this stuff <laughs> I, I i'm you know i'm an absolutist in the sense that you know I think it's bad for the culture and it's bad for the kind of history and historiography that you get rid of things that, you know, people might be, quote unquote, convinced by. I don't think people yeah. are easily convinced by this stuff either. I think we probably have to pull the ripcord pretty soon and get out of here. Mm. I wanted to ask briefly about this um, letter from the Congressional Progressive Caucus um, that was published yesterday or at least delivered yesterday and rather quickly retracted. I've read the letter now, only this evening, mm -hmm. and it actually seems pretty benign to me. Mm -hmm. um, it it suggests that they're still interested in the integrity of Ukraine, but there probably ought to be some negotiations at some go. point, and consistently denounces the Russian aggression, awfulness. Again, rather benign. Just like the Harper's stuff. letter? <laughs> <laughs> rather we benign. really don't like Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. We love free speech. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to protect you. And And... For whatever reason, like everyone lost their shit. The letter was retracted, and who, people who lost their shit though? Because happen. the first I heard of the letter was it being retracted. It's yeah, me too. Yeah, I think it was like internal, like yes, DNC democratic menace machinations. Yeah. The sense, the sense that I've got from the reporting. Oh yeah, 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 because a lot of the articles I read were that this was the first open attack yes. by the Progressive Caucus yes. on Joe Biden. And it wasn't yeah. much and of an Nancy attack. Pelosi. Like no. the, the letter quotes Joe Biden extensively and applauds yeah. him for saying, "We want to avoid a conflict with Russia because that would be really, really bad," and it actually kind of makes me feel good that those conversations are happening right. in public because I want to be assured that you people have a sense of where the line is and what ought to be done. And I also would agree that it's appreciate to start having some negotiations to, to the extent the United States is engaged and is selling weapons, yeah. like pushing people to get to the table and try to bring this to it close in whatever way possible. It stunning and shocking and very disturbing to find out that there has been no diplomatic yeah, you know, especially rapport. at this point in time. Yeah, I mean, if it were March, yeah, I think they're wrong about that. If it were March, yeah, I think about whether or not there is. Yeah, of course there is. I mean, the, the, look, I have the, the, I'm the position of I agree with, you know, giving the Ukrainians weapons. I mean, I've said in the past, you want the, you want our check, sons yeah. to yeah. die for <laughs> yes. Ukraine. Um, <laughs> He's very generous. I'm not. I'm not so much a blank check person. I think there yeah. should be a lot more oversight of this stuff, but. They're right and they're wrong in the sense that I, I – and in some way I'm wondering if they pulled this on purpose because you pull it on purpose and you see, see, this is how hard it is to have this debate mm. when, yeah. you know, if people criticize them, so fucking what? They're going to get criticized by the people they're criticizing, of course. And, yeah, it's a mild criticism. I think that it fundamentally misunderstands how this stuff works mm -hmm. and they think that this isn't happening. And it also presumes that they have a partner – with whom they can negotiate, which they don't. I mean, the Russians, in, uh, Americans and Russians are talking all the time. There was a, a story about this two days ago. Uh, the British and the Russians are talking all the time. There are open channels of communication. It's just what is that going to lead to? And Ukrainians are very clear about this. What they want is not what necessarily the people who are saying we should negotiate want. They say, well, you know, why don't you just give them Crimea, maybe a little 
bit of a Donbass or something. Yeah. Ukrainians do not want this. And there is a lot of polling that suggests this is true. And all you have to do is go to Ukraine and ask people, like, you think that you should, you know, maybe give them something to get out? No, no, no. Yeah, but no, what they have done is is they, they leave and they leave by violence. And that is what people there think. And right, I think but that's... we're talking about the American government. And if, if yes. the U.S. government, I, because I'm a, I'm a critic of our giving so much aid without kind of more thoughtfulness, because we're we're in the war and yeah. we've chosen sure, a side. Yeah. And so we say that we're not. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, so I would like to see more oversight. But if the U.S. went to Ukraine and I'm not mm -hmm. saying this will happen, but they're like, you know, we are good with this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there might yeah. be I mean, there would be real uh, friction between Ukraine and the U.S. But that's you know, I, I don't know that it's the United States national interest to, like, get the maximum uh, settlement. Yeah, no, no, no. I Ukraine. think that's true. And, and, and it's also been true that there has been friction. And yeah. at the very beginning, yeah, yeah, there was yeah. a lot of friction. And, you know, obviously, the Ukrainians were following the uh, the Sunak appointment. And mm -hmm. they, they were like tweeting, bring Boris back, yeah. because he was giving them exactly what they wanted. But the, there's a couple things that, you know, it's to use the language of 2022, is centering America, right? If what we right, want, right, yeah, and what yeah. we can do, and like, we should go in there and dictate to them. It's like, yeah, there we we have a, the power to do that if we're giving them as much as we're giving them. That has to come with some, right. some sort of conditions. And I think there are conditions. And a lot of these conversations happen with a presumption that there is no conditions. Right, right. Is that when we go there saying, like, just, you know, go to the last man. Yeah. You know, to, I don't think that's actually what's happening. Yeah. But you do have to say, like, the, to the Ukrainians. I mean, the, the, the Europeans are not saying this, too. I mean, right. the, you know, per capita, the, the I think the Estonians and then the Poles are giving the most. Yeah. And then, you know, Sweden's joining NATO and mm -hmm. Finland's joining NATO. And the entire politics there, they need us, but I don't think they would actually perform that badly without us. Right. Um, and because they have actually proven that they're quite they're pretty good, quite, quite good. Right. Yeah, yeah. And there's obviously a very big difference that if your country has been invaded or you're a yeah. guy from Novosibirsk yeah. who's just been handed a, you know, 1950 I, rifle. More in, in an American context, because I uh, one of the things that I kind of liked about Trump is that I think he intuited but couldn't articulate or even understand what it meant that America is no longer the center of the world. And or if it ever was. Um, and that he kind of intuited that we were in a in the world today. We're kind of in the position of England or France after World War II, where we're a major power, but nobody controls things as much. Mm -hmm. I think he was kind of getting towards that. And I'm not. I I, I actually would embrace a foreign policy that kind of you know just took that for granted or mm -hmm. took it seriously and then went out from it. Uh, with this. The anti-war movement in America, and I, you know, I was against uh, actually occupying Afghanistan. I'm old enough to have been writing, you know, stupid editorials about that and Iraq and whatnot. And it's, it's to me one of the takeaways of this whole story is just how shitty the anti-war movement yes. is, and like really the only person who has been fully anti-war all the time is Ron Barbara, Paul. Is Barbara Lee too? Yeah, Barbara Lee yeah. as well. But it's like, you know, that's it. And, you know, and Ron Paul had a stroke and he's still anti-war. And yeah. he, he'll say it <laughs> he's like the John Fetterman like, of the America First no, Committee. But he's much, no, but it's, it's John weird. John Fetterman has changed his mind on account of the stroke, I suppose. Yeah. And, you know, it's <laughs> weird the, the anti-war movement disappeared the minute that Democrats, it, it started in 2006 when they took control of Congress. And then when Obama was elected, it's like it just disappeared because it was mostly motivated by left wing people or liberals. And it just, to my mind, that's what part of the takeaway of this is how quickly it was it was pulled 
reminds us that, mm-hmm. you know, actually being anti-American intervention is, is not normal. Yeah, it's very, yeah. very unpopular. Still, it's very even, unpopular, yeah. Even after we've yeah. learned after 20 years yes. of disastrous interventions in the Middle East and in Central Asia. Mm. Uh, I mean, Libya happened when? I mean, yeah. that was mm-hmm. Obama, yeah. and there was a lot of... There was a lot of um, People that were, you know, happy to do that yeah. and Democrats. And one that, final thing on this is, is that, you know, <clears throat> you see this, the, the tribalism of this in a way that when you say there's no anti-war movement, there was yeah. an anti-war movement, obviously, against George W. Bush when right. Obama comes into less so. But, you know, it's again, to tie this one more time to the past is that to see people having these conversations about the far right in the past. This yeah. is, again, the thing that I've been listening to today. What they're doing is they're praising the uh, House of Un-American Activities Committee, mm-hmm. which was mm-hmm. anti-Nazi. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, there were people that were not doing enough. This they is... should have prosecuted more of these people. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this, and like, in, That's in the, the Dyes Committee, right? The, the started Dyes as Committee, like yeah. an anti-Nazi it, thing. It started as an anti-Nazi thing, and then Dyes did both communists and Nazis. Yeah. But and Martin Dyes is a complete <laughs> lunatic. But the other thing about Before this, going to jail before, himself. <laughs> yes. So it's like, he's just, Tex- he's perfect. Texas Democrat. But the other thing about this is, like, you, you know, you look at the stuff in the Russia stuff, all the conversation yeah. about Russia, all the conversation that really echoes McCarthyist thinking about yeah. you must be on the payroll of mm-hmm. Russia. Yeah. I mean, w- we have seen this, but it's not wasn't coming from your side. And now you seem to be OK with it. And it's just boring tribal politics, whether it's anti-war or whether it's Russia or whether it's, you know, fascist in, uh, amongst us. Boring tribal politics that in some instances does result in criminal prosecutions. Yes, it does. Jail time and much longer sentences for people who find themselves in the yes. wrong situation at the wrong time with Very the much wrong so. par- party in power. Mm-hmm. It's a little it's a little uncomfortable it's and a disconcerting. Little, a little disconcerting. But yeah. All well, right. We should probably wrap this up uh, on that very, very exciting note. Exciting note. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Nick. Thanks. Coleman. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Coleman, looking forward to your book. Yes. Very yeah. exciting stuff. Don't fuck it up. Exciting, no. exciting times. Yeah. Yeah. I know you will, but don't fuck it up. <laughs> it's, it's already a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. What racist press is publishing this? <laughs> um, actually, The Southerner. So, uh, yeah. Don the Books. Yes. I'm doing installments. Actually, installments yeah. alternating on The Southerner yeah. and Substack. Yeah. This is uh, a revisionist history of George Wallace <laughs> before he got shot. <laughs> right. Oh, God. Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse.